This very special Christmas episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Thunderball's Bowling Alley in Little Haven. Celebrate the holiday with Thunderballs, where our only rule is don't piss in or on the ball pit. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's actually Christmas on Pod Cemetery. Merry it's our Christmas. Actual Christmas episode, not just leading up to Christmas. The last episode before it, with 1993's The Nightmare Before Christmas and 2017's Anna and the Apocalypse. We're just going to dive right into it with our first movie, 1993's Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, directed by Henry Selleck. With story and characters by Tim Burton. Uh, an adaptation by Michael McDowell, but not really. A screenplay by Carolyn Thompson. Songs and score by Danny Elfman, which I don't normally credit. Even that this is a musical. But he is responsible for so much of what the movie is, writing-wise. Mm -hmm. uh, and starring Danny Elfman, Chris Sarandon, Catherine O'Hara, and Ken Page. People say a lot that this is the first full-length stop-motion film. I think they even said it in the movies that made us. The world's very first stop-motion feature-length movie. Uh, that is so incredibly not true. <laughs> really? Like, just really not true. Was it Paranorman that we talked about being, like, the longest stop-motion animated movie? I don't know. I Which is so. also not true, but like uh, if you add caveats to it and you only count Western cinema, which is kind of fucked, <laughs> then yeah. But no, this is by no means the first, even if you say full length, stop motion, not animated, like that sort of thing. No, it's still not. But anyway, I mentioned that Michael McDowell gets credited with an adaptation, but I said not really. That's because by all accounts... <laughs> Uh, he didn't write jack shit. Yeah. They were waiting so long for the script. We hit a wall with the original script by Michael McDowell. There was no script. There was literally no script. Dear Michael, gone now, had a love affair with cocaine. They took his salary up his nose and wrote nothing. They went straight from Tim Burton's original sort of story to Danny Elfman's songs. And so much of what the movie became was based on stringing those songs that Danny Elfman wrote together. And so to hear Danny Elfman say it, the character of Jack Skellington is very much him and what he was going through at the time and his desire, even though he was the lead in Oingo Boingo, he just wasn't feeling it anymore. And so that's why the movie has this feeling. And then they started animating based on those songs, and then they got a script. And it wasn't from Michael McDowell. What they got from Michael McDowell was just all of Danny Elfman's lyrics just put in a script form. <laughs> and then he called it a script. <laughs> and then so they gave it to Carolyn Thompson, who wrote Edward Scissorhands and was Danny Elfman's girlfriend at the time. They were living together. And so she was there during the whole writing process and everything, and then she ended up 
writing the script. There's more around Caroline Thompson's relationship between Danny Elfman and Tim Burton that we're not really going to dive into too much here, but they would clash and then get back together and then clash and then there's a whole story there. She's more responsible for creating the Sally that we know. So if Jack is Danny Elfman, then Caroline Thompson is Sally. Uh, And then, of course, Henry Selleck got his hands on that script and then changed a bunch of stuff to make it actually animatable. And so a lot of credit going around as to who actually is responsible for this movie. And there are a lot of fucking names. Took the work of a village. Yes, exactly. Although, all things considered, if you talk to the people that actually animated the film and you talk to Henry Selleck, he's like, listen, I don't want to slag off Tim Burton. And this is all based on his idea. But he had barely a hand in the actual making of the movie. Right. They're all based on his drawings. It's based on his original concept. He came up a couple of times. I think he said no more than eight or 10 days in total. And it took two years to make this movie. So he was down making Batman Batman Returns. So there's a whole story that we're not going to get really, really into about how he originally worked for Disney. He had drawn stuff for this before. He had pitched it to them. They turned it down. But since he worked at Disney... They still owned it. He left Disney and started making movies like Pee-wee and then Batman and, you know, Edward Scissorhands and all of those. And then he became such a huge name uh, that he could pretty much do whatever he wanted to. And they gave him Batman Returns and they're just like, make another Tim Burton Batman movie. And he just had free reign from Warner Brothers from that. But he wanted to make Nightmare. So he went back to Disney and said, hey can I have my movie? And they're like, we'll do you one better. We'll give you whatever you want. Not whatever you want. We'll give you $18 million (laughs) to go ahead and make it for us. We would like to make your movie. And so he went ahead with that. But by the time it got made, he was so deep into Batman Returns, he just could not be involved in the making of this. So that's all the behind the scenes stuff. We'll get into more of it. But that's everything you need to know about who made the movie. What is it about, Kelsey? The world of... Halloween. It's very it's it's a, it's a very abstract idea when you really try to pick it apart. Like holidays come from different lands, different There's, realms. Yeah, uh-huh. There's Christmas town and Halloween town and Easter town and Thanksgiving town and and, and the 4th of July town. It's all very American holidays. <laughs> yes, although there is St. Patrick's Day. But, yeah, I did see that. You know, as people say like, you know, Americans really sort of take other cultures' holidays and just make them excuses to drink. Yeah, because we <laughs> don't give ourselves enough holidays from work. So yeah. we have to make excuses to have them. India does it right. India has a fuck ton of holidays. Mm-hmm. But so the people of Halloween Town decide to take over Christmas. They want to they do Christmas their way. Yeah. And... As you can imagine, everything goes horribly wrong. (laughs) It is available on Disney Plus, if you have a subscription to that, even though it was originally released under the Touchtone label, because they screened it for a bunch of little kids, and it was a disaster. So they're like, I guess we'll market this to teens. (laughs) Which is what I, um, I was 10 when this movie came out, and I fucking loved it. So, yes, then it got so popular and it had a resurgence on home video, VHS, and DVD that 
they put it under Disney. So you can find it on Disney Plus now. I saw it when I was a kid and Oogie Boogie scared me. Yeah. I didn't really get into it until I was like middle school. And then I started to really love it. Yeah, I think it's DVD resurgence is really what got everyone into the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can rent it for $4 and buy it for 10 Should people watch The Nightmare Before Christmas? Yes. I mean, come on. 100% yes. (laughs) This is one of those great movies that even if you're not a big animation fan, you can still watch it. If you're not a big musical fan, you can still watch it. If you are more into horror than you are into Christmas, you can still watch it. If you're not into horror at all, but you love Christmas, you can still watch it. (laughs) There's basically no reason why you shouldn't be watching this movie. Exactly. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1993's... The Nightmare Before Christmas. Welcome to an extraordinary world filled with magic and wonder. Open your mind and let yourself go to a place where every day is Halloween and every night Jack Skellington I am the Pumpkin King! Dreams of something different. What is this? It's someplace new. Jack, look out! What's this? What's this? There's color everywhere. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming. Wake up, Jack. This is What is this? Haven't you heard of peace on earth and goodwill toward men? <laughs> Touchstone Pictures presents the enchanting story of two very special dreamers and the holiday spirit that brought them together. From the imagination of Tim Burton comes The Nightmare Before Christmas. And what did Santa bring you, honey? Ah! All right, Kelsey, how does The Nightmare Before Christmas begin? With an intro that was originally going to be done by... Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart, and for some reason they didn't use his... So, yeah, you can find it on the album still. Mm -hmm. It's so weird. So I, growing up, I used to listen to a fuck ton of musical soundtracks. I just have it on in my car or when I was doing yard work, I'd have a disc man on me, you know, before iPods. And I listened to this a lot. So like the version that I know is the Patrick Stewart version. Was a long time ago, longer now than it seems in a place that perhaps you've seen in your dreams. For the story that you are about to be told began with the holiday worlds of old. Now you've probably wondered where holidays come from. If you haven't, I'd say it's time you begun. But the version you get in the movie is Santa. Oh, is it? Ed Ivory. Twas a long time ago, longer now than it seems, in a place that perhaps you've seen in your dreams. For the story that you are about to be told took place in the holiday worlds of old. Now, you probably wondered where holidays come from. If you haven't, I'd say it's time you begun. Any idea why they cut Patrick Stewart? No idea. That's so weird. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just to be more cohesive with the rest of the film. Maybe. But he's introducing the fact that holidays come from these realms. And like I said, it's 
very American. They even have the 4th of July on there. And I'm just like, did we create holiday world? <laughs> That's cool. What about all the other holidays in the world? Yeah. Man? It yeah. Be, well, it is a big forest, but really the way they represent it <laughs> is a small little opening in the forest. And there are specific trees all facing towards the middle of a circle. And then they have a shape as a door. And that's how you enter into each of these worlds. Yes. And of course, the one for Halloween is a pumpkin. Yeah. And it opens up and just immediately, the music, the design, uh, the, the lyrics, overture that it gets at the beginning of this is pretty good. Like the characters, just everything pulls you into this world. Uh -huh. And it doesn't matter that it's totally abstract and you're like, where the fuck is this supposed to exist in the universe? Doesn't matter. Uh -huh. It just sucks you into this world and it's amazing. So we get, this is Halloween. Yes. So that's why if you ask me, there it's up for debate, but this movie is firmly a Christmas movie. Because it doesn't start until Halloween is over. They're singing about how great Halloween is. And at the end of the song, they're like, hey, wasn't that a great Halloween? Now let's start planning for next year. So Halloween doesn't actually happen in this movie. It is a Christmas movie through and through. I disagree. I know you do. <laughs> but yeah, this is Halloween where all the monsters and goblins and shit start talking about who they are. The clown with the tearaway face. That's Danny Elfman, by the way. Oh, is it? I am the clown with the tearaway face! Here in a flash, trace! The werewolf, the vampires, the witches, Sally, Oogie Boogie. Like, it's all so good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The mayor is great. The mayor is Otho and Beetlejuice, Glenn Shaddix. Beetlejuice, which was written by... Michael McDowell? <laughs> yes. Which is why Tim Burton wanted him to write this. Yeah. Uh -huh. he wrote Beetlejuice. The guy who played Otho, uh, when we saw The Nightmare Before Christmas live with Danny Elfman singing the parts... Yeah, oh God. So we got to go to the first one that they did. The very... The very... Is it the very first one or was it the second night? It was the weekend. second night of the first year that they did it. Okay, but it was on actual Halloween night. Yes, yeah, so, it, oh God, it was so cool because, listen, we're going to gush about this because it was so fucking cool. Is at the <laughs> Hollywood Bowl and like the coolest part is at the end when everyone's getting up to leave, out comes Danny Elfman to play Dead Man's Party which he hadn't played live in front of an audience in 20 years. Yes. That was cool as shit, man. Yes, but he very specifically said that he was very sad that the guy who played Otho wasn't around to be there for this. He said that he would have loved to have been there for this. Like, yeah, he died in 2010, so shortly before that. But, oh, God, that was really cool, too, because even Ken Page, Oogie Boogie was there, Paul Rubens was there, Catherine O'Hara... Uh, so the whole thing, it was just really great. Just like, so they played the movie and every time there was a song, they would do the song live on stage. And then at the end, they did some other versions of, of songs and stuff like that. It was a, a wonderful experience. They do that every once in a while now. I don't know if it's every year, but it does come back every once in a while. So they did it this year. Highly recommend if you have the opportunity, go to that. Our if you live in Southern went. California. 
And apparently, instead of Catherine O'Hara, they had uh, Billie Eilish playing Sally. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That would have been really cool. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, come on. We got to see it with Catherine O'Hara. Yeah. No, I'm <laughs> very happy I saw Catherine O'Hara. But I love the design. And if you want to talk shit about Tim Burton, that's fine. But this is all very Tim Burton. This is the height of Tim Burton before he got old. Yes. Like, I mean, we talk about this. We've talked about it in the past. We've covered other Tim Burton movies where there is virtually, not quite exactly, but virtually a line that you can draw between good Tim Burton and hack Tim Burton. <sighs> and this is good Tim Burton, you know? Yes. And I know he wasn't there to create everything, but it's all based on his designs. Yeah. One of the producers that they had, can't remember his name, but worked with... Tim Burton a lot and was sort of tasked with ensuring that everything looked like Tim, like translating Tim Burton's. He was a sculptor and he would do that for other projects just for fun for Tim Burton. Someone he trusted more than anyone was his old pal at Disney, Rick Heinrichs. I was tasked early on with bringing the Tim Burton look to the, the project. And of course, Henry Selleck worked with Tim Burton at Disney, and they were pals already, so. Now, I know that they like to say that Tim Burton was an overlord-type person of this whole thing. I think he was just too busy working on Batman Returns. Well, I mean, like, when he would when he would come in to change things, he was a dick about it. Oh, yeah, he would lose his mind and stuff like that. And there is a part in there where he, where apparently he told them Halloween Town can't be any colors other than black, black and white, white and orange and orange but it is and it is and i think that it was the right idea to not do that i think that red and green are also very important colors to halloween right but what you'll notice is that the sets themselves are and then they populate it with things that are other colors for instance you'll see a lot of these sort of like amber tones that's not anything to do with the set design it's the lighting that mm-hmm. makes it more amber because it's like during the day. What would Halloween Town look like during the day? Yes. And, and it's beautiful. Yes. And that is what Tim Burton needs. Tim Burton yes. needs somebody to be yes. like, okay, Tim Burton, yes, but also this. I think at this point now we should get Tim Burton coming up with ideas and other people making his movies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because we've all seen all the shit he's done since the 2000s and everything is black and white and checkers. And you're just like, this is so boring. Mm-hmm. No, look at the stripes. Oh, look at the dark eye shadow. Oh, look at the Like, just everything is the same. And it doesn't matter that everything looks the same With Nightmare, like, you can look at that and go, yes, that is very Tim Burton, but it is also very Nightmare. Like, it has its own personality versus so much of Tim Burton's later work just sort of bleeds together. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about Batman Returns, just how specific the style in that movie is that he got to make himself, right? Before he just started becoming a Tim Burton factory, you know? (laughs) God, Pee-wee Herman, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Because he wasn't allowed, he wasn't given free reign. Uh-huh. He had to make certain people happy. He had to make Paul Rubens happy. Uh-huh. But that, yeah, it was Paul Rubens who went specifically to him and said, I want you to make my Pee-wee movie. And yeah, he had to make a Pee-wee movie, not a Tim Burton movie. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh-huh. 
And that's what things need. They they need an injection of Tim Burton. Yes. But it can't be the full experience of Tim Burton. <laughs> anyway, this is Halloween. The song wraps up and all the people of Halloween Town are celebrating what a great job they did on Halloween that year. We also get to meet people like the evil scientist, Dr. Finkelstein. Dr. Finkelstein. Finkelstein, sorry, yes. He's very upset because Sally has knocked him out again with Deadly Nightshade, which we uh -huh. have a little... We do. We have a cookie jar. Cookie jar. Nightshade, which you can just get from Disneyland, but it's great. Yes, Love it. It's so cute. But Dr. Finkelstein is William Hickley, better probably known from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. The blessing! Really? <laughs> yeah. How funny. Uh -huh. But at the end of this... Everyone's all happy and cheerful, but Jack, the king of Halloween, the pumpkin king. Which is funny, because he's not a pumpkin head. He's not, no. He starts out as with a pumpkin head, and then he douses it out in the fountain, and he comes back up as a skeleton. Yes. A great reveal, really cool. Him on fire is yeah. great. There used to be this big piece at Disneyland, I really wanted it, of him being carried as the scarecrow with the head on fire. Uh-huh. And it's really, really cool, but I never bought it because it was expensive, <laughs> and now it doesn't exist yeah. anymore. But everyone's really cheerful and going back to their homes or whatever. Oh, yes, by the way, I don't know what the ruling structure is here. There's a pumpkin king, and there is a mayor of Halloween Town. The mayor, I guess, runs the town and all their efforts there, but Jack is in charge of Halloween. It's weird. Anyway, but... Jack seems a little bit kind of bummed, maybe a little bit depressed. He is deflated. bored. Mm -hmm. He does not want to be the Pumpkin King It's anymore. the same thing every year, and we get the song Jack's Lament. Yet year after year, it's the same routine, and I grow so weary of the sound of screams, and I, Jack, the Pumpkin King, have grown so tired of the same old thing. And that's probably the biggest problem with this movie. I love, I love that this movie was creating emos without realizing it. <laughs> but that yes. is probably the biggest detractor, is that there are there is a there's quite a bit of screen time devoted to Jack just kind of being sad and mopey. Well, that was Danny Elfman. Yes, but it's a kid's movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's a teen's movie. Well, because children of America are overly sheltered and told that that's going to scare them. Right. So they think it is. Uh -huh. The only thing legitimately scary about this is Oogie Boogie. And as an adult, I'm like, oh, my God. But as a kid, I understand because as a kid, he was made out of bugs. That's terrifying. <laughs> Andy, of course. He, he wants to kill Santa. I mean, as a child, that was terrifying right. yeah. to me. Uh, originally, well, maybe not originally, but there was a version that Tim Burton flipped out over where they were going to rewrite the ending to where Oogie Boogie was really a puppet controlled by Dr. Finkelstein. Eh, I think it would have been stupid. It would have been very stupid, but apparently he lost his mind. I think that's the 
moment where he kicked a hole in the wall. Yes. Uh, he was so upset. Oh, he just hated it. He hated it so much with these big size 14 Doc Martens. He kicked a hole in the wall. Oh my gosh. And I went, Tim, uh, is your foot okay? said, yeah, they're steel toes. Monday morning when we all came into work, someone actually wrote, Tim kicked a hole here. We did cut that part of the wall out and framed it. Because it was a celebrity kicking. <laughs> that was one of our more colorful interactions. Caroline Thompson also tells a story about how she wanted to make a change and he flipped out on her and started banging down on mixing, editing equipment and stuff like that. He lost his mind. He erupted into a screaming fit. He attacked an editing machine and he was just like raging all over this machine that was certainly going to out of the box him. Oh. I did not get to rewrite the new ending. I imagine he was really fucking stressed out. I imagine. But no excuse for treating people like shit. Yes, exactly. This is where we get to meet Zero, his yeah. dog, uh-huh. who's a ghost dog. I don't know how old I was when I realized that his nose was a pumpkin. That was recently, because you started noticing it, like, on merchandise, and you were like, what the fuck? Why would they yeah. do this? And I had to tell you, it's always been well, you a say, pumpkin. Well, you say recently, but, you know, we've been together for, like, 12 years. Yeah. So it's probably, like, a decade ago. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I didn't. It never even occurred to me because I'm watching it on shitty standard <laughs> definition things. And like you can't make out that there's a face. And it wasn't until they started making merchandise at the at the stores and started exploiting it at Disneyland that I was like, what the fuck is this? Why would they do that? And then getting to watch it in high def and you realize, oh, no, there really is a pumpkin head there. Zero always makes me think of. Jesse, the first Jesse we had on the show, the one that we were just about to have, but she was pregnant at yes. the time and couldn't make it last uh -huh. time. The one that we did Event Horizon and Grave Encounters with, that yeah. Jesse. In uh -huh. high school, I bought her slippers that were shaped like zero and the nose lit up every time you stepped. Oh, that's cute. It's really fucking cute. Yeah. So he walks off with Zero just into the forest and Sally's watching and is also very sad. Well, she well first she's in the graveyard. Uh-huh. And you can't skip the graveyard because of the incredible set design. Yes. That hill and the moon are uh -huh. just so good. I know it's iconic. I know everybody knows what I'm talking about, but it's so beautiful and so well done with the and it goes so well with the music. It's powerful. Like up there, as moonshots go, and I don't mean like moonshots is like, you know, big swings. I mean, moonshots is shots of the moon in cinema go like there's E.T. and there's this, <laughs> right? Like it's it's up there with E.T. as like iconic shots of the moon. Mm -hmm. During his song, he talks about certain things that people call him and they've always bothered me. Yeah. One specifically, to a guy in Kentucky, I'm Mr. Mr. Unlucky. Unlucky. Yeah. To a guy in Kentucky, I'm Mr. Unlucky. Danny, I get that we needed to include a rhyme here, but did we need to stretch it this poorly? To a guy in Kentucky, I'm Mr. Unlucky. What the fuck does that mean? Oh, guys, look out. Tonight, Mr. Unlucky's coming out. I don't think that there is a Mr. Unlucky, or at least there wasn't until after this movie came out. But yes, yeah, Sally is watching him, and she gets it. Yeah, she does. She understands. She feels the same way. 
Or at least she thinks she does. Well, the truth is, is that they both just want to be in love. Yeah, uh-huh. It'll make everything better. Yeah, they want something that's not the life that they live every other day, you know? But so she collects deadly nightshade again uh-huh. out there at the graveyard. And when she comes back, he's like, oh, you came back. She's like, I had to because he has her arm. Uh-huh. So she is like a rag doll that he has created. Stuffed with these sort of like autumn leaves. Mm-hmm. The truth is, is that he wants, as Chris says, a slave who loves him. Yeah. And she is, she doesn't want to be a slave and she doesn't love him. She has intelligence. She is her own being. And the fact that he keeps her locked up is totally fucked up. Mm-hmm. He just wants somebody who doesn't have her own intelligence that can just stick around, do things for him, and love him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what he wants, but that's not what he created. Right. But so we find out that she has poisoned him three times in the past year uh-huh. to escape from his clutches. But meanwhile, we get to see other characters in the town. Again, we get to see the mayor. Oh my God, when he goes up those steps. Yes, that shot. Uh-huh. It's so cute. Like, I just love the detail that they put mm-hmm. into it. Every little thing they thought of. When he rings the doorbell in the morning, right? Because it's the next morning. It is November 1st. And he's like, all right, getting to plan on the next Halloween, going to get together with Jack. And Jack's not there because he walked out into the forest last night. When he realizes that Jack's not answering and then his head flips around, he's like a He-Man toy. He's he bipolar. Has two faces, yes. He has the scary, sad, distressed face and then the happy, smiling face on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, so he flips it around to the distressed face, Jack. I'm only an elected official, Jack. <laughs> And I love that the band that plays outside the of Jack's band, home. The street band, the buskers, yeah. They watch him do all this and they don't say a word until he falls down uh-huh. the stairs. And then they're like, he's not Jack's home. not here, man. It's like, you could have told me that before I fell down the stairs. Jack has like fallen asleep while he's walking, I guess, and doesn't know where he is. And this is when he comes upon the other Trees that have the doors, portals, uh yeah, that lead to the other realms. And the one that captures his fancy is the brightest, most colorful one there, the Christmas tree. Yes. So he opens the door and there's this like snowflake effect and then it pulls a rush of air into the portal, sucking him in too. And he falls down into this new world. And just like it did when we saw Halloween Town, the music starts immediately and... I just think Chris and I have also seen this several times live in what they call 4D. Yeah. So it's not just 3D, but it's also got smells. Well, and it has um, bubbles and and, and snowflakes and things like that. that And it makes the weather change like Uh it gets colder when you go to Christmas town and stuff. Uh As soon as I hear that music, Uh like I, I... I expect there to be the smell of cakes and pies are absolutely <laughs> everywhere uh-huh. because that's what happens when we see this in 4D and it's always such a disappointment when I don't <laughs> smell it. But it just, that music is so good. I love this song. So. What is this? What's this? What's this? What's this? There's color everywhere. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming. Wake up, Jack. This isn't fair. What's this? This is a very important song. Not only is it one of the flagship songs of the entire movie, 
where Jack is introduced to all things Christmas for the first time. And he's asking, what's this? What's this? But it was also the first thing they ever animated. Like I said, they didn't have a script yet, so they're going to start with Danny Elfman's songs. And then they had this one as as the one that they decided to make first. And so they made this song in its entirety and animated it. And that's what they showed to Disney because the producer, the one that Disney sent to oversee the movie, it was like, there's no way this movie is going to get made for $18 million. So she took this song and brought it to the execs at Disney and they fucking loved it. Because it's so good. Uh-huh. And he, and what she said to them was, that movie will cost $23, $25 million or $28 million or something like that. So if you want that movie, you're going to have to give us more money. And they're like, yeah, sure, go ahead, take it. And they just gave them the money that they needed to finish the movie at that caliber, which I think is one of the biggest boons. It wasn't until they saw the complete movie that they're like, who is this for? And ended up releasing it under Touchstone. Yes. But yes, What's This was a big, big song for this movie. I love his happy face that he has throughout the Uh song. He's so happy. I love when he puts the Christmas lights in his eyes. Uh It's a really good shot. When he, like, grinches over the bed, <laughs> there's the little girls right there. And then he's, ah. Oh, what's this? What's this? And then she wakes up. It's oh, so scared. It's so good. It's so, so good. He's inside the snowman, bouncing around. And then the whole song ends with Santa Claus's silhouette at the door of his workshop. And ho, 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 ho. After he hits smack dab the sign that says North Pole. Yeah. And he falls Christmas back. Christmas Town is what it says. Yeah. Christmas Town. And he falls back. And I love that, like, he falls into the deep snow. And it's just his teeny tiny skeleton. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, but it's really deep, but so, very narrow. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. And yes. And then he sees, oh, Sandy Claus. Uh-huh. And he really does think it's Sandy Claus. Yes. Like, because claws. he is seeing everything <laughs> through the context of what he knows, which is really important to the themes of this movie. No creatures here to scream and scare them or ensnare them. Only little cozy kids secure inside their dreamland. Like yes. He, this is all very warm and different to him. And so it's one thing about Jack's character is when he decides he wants to do Christmas, there's no malice. It's not like we're going to expand Halloween to also be Christmas. Kind of, though. I bet I could improve it, too. And that's exactly what I'll do. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's I don't think he's like, I want to make it another Halloween. I think he just only has the context of Halloween, and that's the big problem. He has good intentions. Oh, yes, only the uh-huh. best intentions. He doesn't understand that these things are going to be gross and scary to kids. He thinks they're wonderful, <laughs> so the kids are going to love them. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's been dead for much too long, which we, is a line we get later on. Try something fresher. Not something not dead, just something fresher, you know? Like, he, he has a different perspective on the world. Meanwhile, back in Halloween Town... Sally uh, is, uh, again, going to poison her captor, and it's kind of cute. She decides to put in frog's breath, but then that's too potent, so then she puts in worm's wart, which is also suspicious, but I really want to get the those two, because we don't have those Yeah, those two. are the two that we don't have. They didn't used to make those two. They used to only make... Um, Deadly Nightshade. Deadly Nightshade. Then they started making the whole set, but then they made them too small. Yeah, they were like salt and pepper shaker size. Yeah, so I was like, well, I can't buy them now. Now they won't match my Uh other one. (laughs) 
I've also seen they even have them as dog toys. I now. have seen that all three of them together uh-huh. like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I need to get the other two the same big size. Yeah, I want to say that I love that. Like she seems so innocent, but then when she watches him eating the soup, she gets like this kind of evil, yeah, maniacal uh-huh. look in her eyes, and the lighting changes. And I thought that uh-huh. was really good. I liked that a lot. There's a little bit of Halloween Town and Sally too, mm-hmm. as sweet as she is. Yes. So she gets out again. There's going to be a big town meeting because Jack is back and he has to share something with the people of Halloween Town. Listen, everyone. This is where we get the town meeting song where Jack is going to share everything he's learned about Christmas and the audience just isn't going to fucking get it. Yes. And so he decides. Might as well give them what they want. Might as well give them what they want. I may as well give them what they want. And so he starts to describe Sandy Claus and get them really excited because step one is get them excited about it. And well, then he can teach them about excited, it. Yes. But they don't understand the special kind of feeling In from Christmas, Christmas land. land. Oh, well. <laughs> but it's like, no, not oh, well, Jack. Yeah. You don't just say, oh, well. He's just getting things started. So this will initiate Jack trying to fully understand Christmas. And I love his little experiments that he does. Oh, okay. So there was a tweet that was going out a while ago that's like, it's something to the effect of, what's a line from a movie whose delivery you can't get out of your head? Like, you'll always hear it with that delivery. There are a couple in this movie for me, including one where Sally's back and she's locked up in her room. And then Jack shows up and asks Dr. Finkelstein for something. Dr. Finkelstein says, curiosity killed the cat, you know. And then Jack says, I know. And it's just like that delivery is just fucking ingrained in my head. Curiosity killed the cat, you know. I know. I like when he, okay, so he is doing these experiments and he uses a microscope to look at a cranberry. And then it smashes the cranberry and cracks the glass. I love his sad look when the candy cane melts. (laughs) Puts it in some sort of solution and then it melts, yeah. I love when he is trying to make Christmas trees, but instead he makes a giant spider. Yeah, I, I just one I of those think folded paper things. Such a cute little montage. I think it's really good. Yeah, when and Sally's he, watching him from her tower this this entire time as the the windows light up and everything, and she's really kind of worried about him. What's he up to? Is he okay? Well, yeah, and the reason it's lighting up is because he crushes an ornament uh-huh. into some solution, and, and it like makes bright on colors. Fire and, and he's yeah. like, "Interesting reaction." But what does it mean? It's <laughs> <laughs> very good. But yes, and so Sally uh, decides to make him a meal, which you're very confused. Does he eat? Right. How does he eat? Uh huh. And she prepares a meal of a dead fish bones. Uh-huh. Does he eat bones? I don't I'm confused. <laughs> he is bones. <laughs> but so the way that she gets out is. She falls from her window, and it's kind of a beautiful shot, even yeah. though it's kind of messed up, because she's, uh-huh. you know. And she breaks apart, and the the buskers across the street are just like, ooh, and they see her land, and yeah. But she's okay, because she's yep. a rag doll. Yep, so she just needs to sew herself back up, back Which together. Which she does. And so she's going to give him this meal, 
And it's hilarious because he doesn't quite get it. He doesn't understand that she's in love with him. He's kind of a, he's kind of an idiot. That's the one thing I like about that ending that they created. The doctor's like, I don't get it. You could have me, the smartest guy in town, or you could have this fucking imbecile. <laughs> yes, Jack Skellington, it's me. Me, the man who created Sally from bits of flesh and scraps of cloth. But she loves you, Jack, you oblivious twit. It's kind of a great line. <laughs> yeah. As she's walking away, she will have a premonition of Christmas and then it being on fire. Yeah, it's a Christmas tree. She's holding these this like dead weed and it turns into a Christmas tree and rotates and spins and glows. It's so fucking abstract and weird. I like it. And then it bursts into flames and she's like, <gasps> and that's her premonition that something's wrong here. There's going to be something dangerous. Yes. So. Something's up with Jack. Something's up with Jack. This is Jack's obsession. Where he talks about how I'm so intrigued by Christmas, but I just don't fucking get it. There's something here I'm not quite getting. Yeah, so he understands that just because I cannot see it doesn't mean I can't believe it. And he's starting to understand for himself all the things that Christmas movies tell us. You know, Christmas is it isn't about the presents, it's about the feeling that you get. Yes, and Chris is right. A lot of this is abstract, but... It's, you know, it's just like in what they say in the Santa Claus. Kids don't need to understand things to believe yeah, them. Yeah, uh-huh. And that's what I love about kids is that kids get abstract ideas, which is funny because when you, when you talk to teens about abstract ideas, I feel like they get more confused because teens have been taught well, they, to turn everything into the literal form, Right, you know? understanding how things work, that that's the way the evolution of their mind works is young kids just accept what they're told. And then they start to question things. And then, you know, you get irony and sarcasm as they get into the double digits there. And then they start to understand what is real and what isn't real. And so when you start to talk to them about abstract ideas, it's almost like it's a skill you need to relearn as a teenager. It's funny. I just think that's funny. Yeah. Because kids – and you want to say that they understand things or you want to say that they just accept things. But I think it's a little bit of both. Sure. They accept things they don't understand, they and they understand things that we can't accept. Yeah, sure. I feel. But yes, he ends with a renewed vigor, right? At first, it's a curiosity, and he doesn't quite understand what's going on. And by the end of the song, he has learned that it doesn't matter that he doesn't understand it. He needs to feel it. And now that he's starting to feel it, he thinks he can actually pull this off. And so Jack has gone through a change in this song. So he decides to get the entire town to create Christmas. So it's not until this song that he decides he wants to take it over. Yes. And he is giving everybody in the town a different job. And he gives Oogie's boys the job of kidnapping the Sandy Claus. Which I feel like, Jack, if you gotta kidnap somebody to do something, you should feel that something is wrong. Right, right, right. But... Just grabbing somebody and bringing them here, not only is he the king of Halloween Town and anything he asks for, he gets. So that's the context he has there. Like, he he just doesn't – like, he, he sees this as, we're going to give him a vacation and he'll be really excited about it. And he's not concerned with the idea that uh, maybe Santa doesn't want that. 
You know, he's like, why wouldn't he want us to help? Right? <laughs> so yes, Oogie's boys, Lock, Shock, and Barrel. This is Catherine O'Hara, Paul Rubens, and Danny Elfman. Yes. And we got to see them perform this song, all three of them, and it was great. It was cool. Yeah. I kind of don't understand why he trusts them, because he even says before they leave, leave that no account Oogie Boogie out of this. Yes. Because he knows that they will go to him, but he is also the Pumpkin King, and they are scared of him. It's through their song that they get over being scared of him and revering Oogie Boogie instead and decide, you know what? No, I think Oogie Boogie is appropriate for this, right? So that's what happens during their song. They decide we're going to kidnap Santa Claus. Kidnap Mr. Santa Claus? want to do it let's draw straws here's how we're gonna do it and fuck jack if he doesn't want to want us to include oogie boogie oogie boogie is the meanest guy in town and i remember being a kid and and being this song like as an adult now i can really appreciate these songs but like as a kid i'm that that song really put a lot of intense fear in me because the idea of somebody kidnapping santa claus was yeah really scary hey, you were what six when this movie came out mm-hmm. that was a scary idea yeah, uh-huh. and it wasn't even like oh no presents it was like you can't kidnap somebody and you yeah. certainly can't, can't kidnap Santa of Claus. all people <laughs> yeah so yes kidnap the sandy claus is the song we get here we also get a moment where it's pretty interesting and i think it expresses what i'm talking about about lock shock and barrels thoughts on Jack and Oogie Boogie. Like, they'll do whatever Jack says, but they revere Oogie Boogie. And how you get this is they put, like, a bug in a cage, and then they throw a cage down the chute, and Oogie eats the bug and then coughs up the cage, and it's all broken and everything. While that's happening, and Shock throws the bug down the chute, Lock and Barrel are on their knees bowing deeply and reverently. It's like they are giving a sacrifice to their god, almost. Yes. So that's why, even though, I, I, I just think that's something that Jack doesn't understand about them. Mm-hmm. And they've, it's never been so much as an issue where they wouldn't do what Jack asked. But now that they think Oogie might want something different, they're going to do what Oogie says. Well, they fuck up the first time. Yeah, and they kidnap uh, the Easter Bunny. Yes. Which I guess was a Henry Selleck addition to the story. Bunny. 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 <laughs> God, I say that so often now. <laughs> we followed your instructions. We went through the door. Which door? There's that's more another, than one. That's another one of those deliveries. <laughs> we followed your instructions. We went through the door. Which door? There's more than one. They leave, and after they leave that second time, we get the song Making Christmas, which is so good. Another iconic song for this movie. Making Christmas, making Christmas, it's so fine. It's ours this time, and won't the children be surprised? It's ours this time. Making Christmas, making Christmas, making Christmas. These three songs... This is Halloween, What's This, and Making Christmas. Just the moment they start, like their initial sound, just immediately pulls me in, 
makes me happy, makes me excited about whatever it is they're singing about. Because Danny Elfman, I know we like to make fun of it because a lot of his music starts to sound the same, but so does fucking John Williams. So, yeah, you know uh-huh. what? Whatever. John Williams, who has created some of the most iconic scores in the history of cinema, they all sound the same. <laughs> exactly. But so, like, just the... the da, 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 I think that's... This is Halloween, yes, right? This is Halloween, yeah. Th- but this one, this time, da-na, this time, like it just gets you in that feeling, gets Making you Christmas. in that moment. Yes, <laughs> it's so good. I, Danny Elfman is a god. And so this song helps us understand how the entire town is helping prepare to do a Halloween Christmas and what their idea of Christmas is. Right, and all, uh, recontextualizing all those things that we love about Christmas, and so trying to make presents. See how I turn this old rat into a most delightful hat. Try again. Don't give up. I love that the doll that they create, that the vampires create, is oh, so yeah. loved by Disneyland. Like you can find it in a lot of different things. Like uh-huh. not a lot of the toys the get. One, yeah, yeah uh-huh. not a lot of the toys get. That kind of merchandising, but this doll did. Right. Well, both of those, like the duck with the bullet holes in the fangs, right? And the flying doll with the big head and the the coattails. Those are really, really big ones. The wreath has a huge presence in the reskin of the Haunted Mansion. Well, so does the thing that eats the presents, the, the presents, snake, which might which is as, a Tim Burton fucking snake, if might, there ever was one. It might as well be a sand worm from, sand from Beetlejuice. Worm. Yeah, might as well be a sand worm from Beetlejuice. But I mean, like you can buy this doll in yeah. several different forms. Mm-hmm. I love that the vampires walk around with little umbrellas. Oh god, they're so cool! That's so cute. All the characters of Halloween Town are just so vivid. And awesome. I think the only problem I have is the, the the one that has snakes for fingers and spiders in the hair. And it's just stringy hair. Like, there are no spiders. No, That's it's like, just this one giant spider. Yeah, but he says, spiders in my hair. And it's just stringy hair, and that's it, with spider legs for hair. Yes. But, like, it's so for some reason, that visual just doesn't connect. It's not far enough for me. But otherwise, like, every one of these characters is so good. There's the, the family... The, the Jack Spratt and his wife style thing with the baby with the eyes sewn shut. That was one of the reasons why they went with what's this first is that you don't see any of the creepy all stuff. the horrifying creepy stuff because they probably would have asked what's this? What's this? <laughs> Instead, they get all the Christmas stuff and you're like, oh, that's wonderful. And that's when they approved the higher budget. I also thought it was funny that they put a pumpkin in a Jack in the Box. And it's funny because it's still Jack in the Box. Ah. <laughs> they do get Santa Claus. Yeah, and there's logically too big a gap here. There's a huge gap. When he sa- first says, go kidnap Sandy Claus, and they sing their song, and they come back like the next day or later that same day. It's like a month or two later. It's like Christmas Eve or some shit yeah, when they like finally bring him. Yeah. So I don't know what they were doing this entire time, but in order for the plot to work, they just fudge with the timeline a little bit. Yes. They could have been doing anything. When they take him to Oogie Boogie's place, watching this in 3D with the colors and everything. Oh, yeah. It's well, first, such I want to cool say scene. there's another line 
that I always remember from the commercials of it coming to home video. Whenever they were announcing it was coming to home video or they were releasing it on DVD or something like that. Surprised, surprised aren't you? Surprised, aren't you? Surprised, aren't you? I knew you would be. That line that be. he delivers to Santa Claus and he realizes the thing he's missing after Sally made him his outfit uh, is the hat. So he takes the hat from Santa and he tells Lock, Shock, and Barrel, take care of Santa. And he's too preoccupied with what he's working on to to worry about what they're going to do with Santa. So yes, they do take him to Oogie Boogie. And yes, we get this Oogie Boogie song. Mr. Oogie Boogie says there's trouble close at hand. You better pay attention now, cause I'm the Boogie Man. And if you aren't shaking, there's something very wrong. Cause this may be the last time you hear the Boogie song. Like I said, the music is great. Oh, the neon and the black light. And why is he a cheating gambler? Why is that the boogeyman? <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's so beautiful and creative. Mm-hmm. Yes. But Sally's still distressed. And she keeps trying to tell Jack something's wrong. But he won't listen to her. And so we get Sally's song, which is like, the second saddest song on the soundtrack. I love this song. I sense there's something in the wind That feels like tragedies at hand And though I'd like to stand by him Can't shake this feeling that I have The worst is just around the beautiful it's her moment to shine yes and she's singing about how much she is in love with him and she wants him to be happy but she's like this just doesn't feel right and she comes up with the idea of uh spreading fog juice yeah so he can't take off dr finkelstein created skeleton reindeer to fly his oh my god and when he makes them he's so excited and happy that they're alive Uh it felt very much like frankenstein Uh they're alive which is, of course, what he's supposed to be. That's yeah, why that's the idea. Finkelstein. But we get Zero as Rudolph, whose nose glows. What a brilliant nose you have. <laughs> After the kid with the sewn shut eyes says, there goes Christmas. Those one-liners are just from the townspeople are just so great. There goes Christmas. <laughs> so he's able to take off anyway, despite Sally's objections and concerns, and despite her attempts to prevent him from taking off, he does anyway, because we got a Rudolph scenario here. And he flies to the real world. Now, is that a different place? We don't know. How does he get there? They get there every year for Halloween. So what's the deal there? Mm -hmm. No idea. Doesn't matter. Doesn't fucking matter. (laughs) It's whimsical. (laughs) It's magic, man. magic, man. He lands on his first house, and he knocks off these plastic angels off the roof, and they get tangled up in Christmas lights, 
and one of them hangs right outside the window of this poor kid, and it looks like it's being hanged. (laughs) It's so great. The boy wakes up to the noise. He comes downstairs, he's he's excited to see Santa, but he's so weird looking that he doesn't talk, and he's just like, here you go, son, and he gives him a head. (laughs) A shrunken head. What'd Santa get you? And it's the shrunken head, which is also very iconic. I love that the little girl who receives the doll that can fly, when she first sees it, she's not perturbed at all by the way it looks. But then it comes to life. Right. And then it terrifies her. But I just love that when she first picks it up, she's just like, I don't care. Santa gave me a doll and I love it. Now, if this is their attempt to be good and bring joy to people. Imagine what their feet, what their yeah, attempts are to be Im- bad. Imagine what Halloween is like in this world. But we're not mean. Yes, that, that's a line, and this is Halloween. That's our jobs, but we're not mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we just have giant snakes that will eat you whole and eat your Christmas tree. But it's all in good fun. Yeah, they're all fine, but the police end up getting these calls saying that a skeleton is terrorizing them. So they shoot him down. It's so sad when he's falling down. He still says... Merry Christmas, everyone. At first, he doesn't realize what's happening because he's like, oh, they're celebrating him. And he doesn't understand that they're shooting at us. He eventually comes to understand. Meanwhile, the Halloween Town citizens are watching in what is effectively a cauldron. cauldron. Yeah. And Sally's starting to stress out about the fact that he's being shot at. She goes to Boogie's place to rescue Santa, because Santa will know what to do. And the way that she decides to distract Oogie Boogie is by turning him on with her leg. Yeah, well, you know, that's a classic, especially in cartoons. He's a very adult villain. Well, yeah, but back in the 40s and 50s. No, but I mean, even like growing up, that was always a thing. Did you want to stop a car? You just raised your skirt up a little bit and showed them gams. (laughs) Like, that's all you did. So, like, it's very sort of like toothless sexuality i guess like yes it has an an effect on kids growing up and everything like that but it's it's like desexualized sexuality almost but she distracts him with her leg and then climbs down but it doesn't matter she gets caught too and now he's going to torture both of them that's right meanwhile jack wakes up he's feeling really sad for himself in a cemetery Being very emo. This is where we get what I think is the best song of the entire movie. (laughs) I know you disagree. Very much Fucking love Poor Jack. What have I done? What have I done? Find a deep cave to hide in. In a million years they'll find me. It's so great. This is another change in Jack. It's him realizing that, oh shit, did I fuck up? I was just trying to do my best. I was just trying to bring joy to people. What did I do? Did I fuck everything up? And then him realizing... Well, no one really understood. Well, how could they? (laughs) Right. And nobody really understood. No, it's, it. yes, I messed up, but that doesn't make me a bad person. 
I can still do something about this. There's still time to make things right. God damn it, I'm the king of Halloween. Why I am the pumpkin king. Why does nothing ever turn out yeah. like it should? Why does nothing ever turn out like it should? Whoa! What the heck? I went and did my best. And by God, I really tasted something swell. That's right. And for a moment, why? I even touched the sky. And at least I left some stories they can tell. I did. And for the first time since... I don't remember when I felt just like my old bunny self again. And I, Jack, the pumpkin king. But he, he gets his his confidence back, realizing that no fucking wonder I couldn't do Christmas. I'm the Halloween guy, and fuck, I'm really good at Halloween. But you know what? There's still time to make this right. I'm going to go get Sandy Claus. And so he tries to go rescue Sandy Claus. Luckily, he just happened to be in a graveyard and there's just a portal in the angel statue back to Halloween Town, well, I guess. Well, the mausoleum. He opens the door. And then no, it's not a door. It's like it's it's an angel statue and there's like a book sculpture. That's as what part he's laying it. on. But I think he goes into he's a He's laying mausoleum. on the angel statue and then he opens up that book and then walks into it. We'll have to see. There was more to this scene. You can watch it in the deleted scenes. Lock, Shock, and Barrel come back because they're basically not back for the rest of the movie now. But in a deleted scene, they're there and they're watching Santa and Sally be tortured by Oogie Boogie. They hear that Jack was blown to smithereens. And then they realize that Jack is quickly approaching. And so Jack shows up just as they're about to fall into this lava pit that he has there. Oogie Boogie wrenches up the platform and then is expecting to hear a splash and some screams and he hears nothing. And so when he lowers that platform back down, Jack's there and he tells them, how dare you treat my friends so shamefully? (laughs) How dare you treat my friends so shamefully? And they have their big fight. Their big fight, which is a great scene, but it's not to a song. Which I think is fine up to this point. They've had good practical applications of these songs. There's no reason He's for it. He's saying either. that because the next movie is coming and he knows it. <laughs> I, that is very, very true. We're going to talk a lot about what the purpose of songs are in musicals and what are really good opportunities to use songs. This is fine without a song here. They could have. I don't know that it would have added all that much. But anyway, he manages to wrap up a thread from Oogie Boogie, who is just this giant burlap sack full of bugs. And he wraps it up in Oogie Boogie's own machinery, undoing the burlap sack, sack, and all the bugs fall out. My bugs! My bugs! Now look what you've done! My bugs! My bugs! My bugs! My bugs! And then he is basically destroyed. Bumpy sleigh ride, Jack. <laughs> so good. Santa has such sass. <laughs> as well he should. And they're like, can you still save Christmas? And he's like, of course I can. I'm Santa Claus. <laughs> Forgive me, Mr. Claus. I'm afraid I've made a terrible mess of your holiday. Bumpy sleigh ride, Jack. 
The next time you get the urge to take over someone else's holiday, I'd listen to her. She's the only one who makes any sense around this insane asylum. Skeletons. I hope there's still time. To fix Christmas? Of course there is. I'm Santa Claus. And then he puts his finger next to his nose. Well, that's what he always does. And then he just floats out that's through the top. That's how he goes up <laughs> chimneys. I know, but it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. So as everyone's really excited that Jack is back and he's still alive and all of that, and everyone's celebrating, we get Santa saving Christmas, swapping out all the presents. We get a reprisal of what's this with the Halloween uh-huh. characters. And Santa flies over Halloween Town and he says, ho, ho, ho. Happy Halloween. It's great to be home. Happy Halloween. Isn't that cute? And then Jack says, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And it begins snowing. My dearest friend, if you don't mind, I'd like to stand here by your side. So good. Yeah. It's when Jack and Sally realize that they're made for each other. And they're right in front of the moon again on that hill. And sit together now and forever. So cute. And sit together now and forever. Yeah, so good. They're simply meant to be. And they get that iconic shot, that love shot, the romance shot from the movie of them holding hands in front of the silhouette of the moon. And we have a picture frame that says we're simply meant to be, and it has a silhouette picture of uh-huh. us. Yeah. Did that on purpose. We did not do that on purpose, <laughs> but it turned out great. Uh, yeah, that is the finale. It's just called the finale. And then we get uh, the closing poem. Again, this is Patrick Stewart on the album, just wrapping everything up. And finally, everything worked out just fine. Christmas was saved, though there wasn't much time. But after that night, things were never the same. Each holiday now knew the other one's name. And though that one Christmas things got out of hand, I'm still rather fond of that skeleton man. So, many years later, I thought I'd drop in. And there was old Jack still looking quite thin, with four or five skeleton children at hand playing strange little tunes in their xylophone band. And I asked old Jack, Do you remember the night when the sky was so dark and the moon shone so bright? When a million small children pretending to sleep nearly didn't have Christmas at all, so to speak? And would, if you could, turn that mighty clock back to that long, fateful night? Now, think carefully, Jack. Would you do the whole thing all over again, knowing what you know now, knowing what you knew then? And he smiled like the old pumpkin king that I knew, then turned and asked softly of me, Wouldn't you... 
And that is Nightmare Before Christmas. So good. Is there anything else you want to say about this movie, Kelsey? I could go on and on, so I'm not going to. We make a list of all the Christmas movies we want to watch every year, and we don't get to all of them. There are some that we go multiple years in between seeing, because we have a very long list. Yes. But Nightmare Before Christmas is every single year. Yes. And when we can, we go out and we see it in, like, the 40 Theater in L.A., or like we did at the Hollywood Bowl that time, or there's like a pop-up bar or whatever, like we'll do those sorts of things because it is a must-watch every single Christmas. Yes. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? It better be fucking high. Okay. What would you guess? I'm going to guess like 79. It has a 95. Ooh. Awesome. The Nightmare Before Christmas is a stunningly original and visually delightful work of stop-motion animation. But I thought it didn't do well when it came out. Well, this is kind of a wide swath of reviews. Mm. It's not just when it came out. Okay. But even still, like, if it it didn't do well, it made its money back, but not much more than that. It did, like, $50 million or something like that. It, like, doubled its budget, which is good, but it's kind of modest in the in the they actual also, total numbers. As far as I know, they didn't do a lot of marketing, marketing for, it. for it. Yeah, no. It really wasn't until they wanted to take advantage of the home market that they really, really started leaning into it. And then when it was very successful there, then they started putting it in their stores and in their parks. And then it got even bigger. Uh, so it has a Metacritic of 82, though. And while that doesn't put it in its in the top 100 or even 200 Metacritic ratings, it is considered uh, what Metacritic calls universal acclaim. Uh, and it has a cinema score of a B plus. Who the fuck is walking out of this giving it a C or a D or an F? Mm-hmm. Grinches is who. Exactly. How it's not an A or an A plus when you walk out of that theater. How you don't feel great having watched the movie. I don't understand. So if you are one of those people, feel free to tweet us. At Pod Cemetery and let us know that you actually hate it. And that's fine. We will disagree, but I'd love to hear what your perspective is. What would you give it, Kelsey? I'm going to give it a 99. Why a 99? Why so close to 100, but not 100? Look, like I said, I understand that this is super emo. I get it. Emo kids, it was made for emo kids. I get that. But those songs, they just, they, they screeching halt to the momentum of the film. Both times. Um, Which songs? Not so much the first one. Which songs? When he's walking around feeling sad in the, um, oh. in the forest. But really, like, grinding halt when he's in the cemetery at the end. And I get that you love that song, and there are certain things about it that I really like. Like I said. <laughs> it's my it's my favorite to sing in my car alone. You'll find me in the on the freeway just singing loudly. But what the heck I went and did my best. It's so good. Understood. Interestingly, that's the way I felt about Sally's song. Which I know is one of your favorites. It is one of my favorites. It's funny that I love the Jack song and you love the Sally song. We're not those couples that are like, I'm Jack and she's Sally. Like, no, <laughs> it's not us. 
but that is kind of funny that I gravitated towards the Jack and you gravitated towards the Sally. Because when I was young and first watched this movie, it was to me just a just the whole movie came to a grinding halt. So we can sing a song about a sad girl who wasn't even that big a part of the movie, really, anyway. <laughs> And it, so it wasn't until, you know, I became an adult and I started to be able to appreciate more those sorts of things that I actually really like the song now. But originally, that was that was my one song that I was like, eh, I can skip it. I could skip. Poor Jack. Poor Jack. <laughs> like I said, there are parts I really like about it. I love... <laughs> no one really understood. Well, how could they? Like, I love... Talking to himself. And for a moment, why? I even touched the sky. But no, as a kid, I hated that song. Oh, man. I like it a lot better now. So fucking good. Uh, I'd probably give it a 98, I think. Why 98? Um, I could theoretically give this 100. I would understand why people might not like it. It's like very made for... Us like you like you say it's made for emo kids, but it was before emo was a thing, <laughs> so it kind of fed into that. Like it is almost like a precursor. It is a little bit mopey, which is fine, but that's you know the way people really feel. Uh, and there are some small minor decisions that I would uh, that I could be uh, nitpicky on. So I don't know that I would say I would probably recommend this to literally everyone. And if you didn't like it, I wouldn't challenge you on that. <laughs> Versus some of the hundreds that I've given out, I would fucking challenge you on it if you said you didn't like it, right? <laughs> like, no, you are wrong. Your opinion is wrong. <laughs> but on this one, eh, if it's just not your thing, I can understand that. And I have that little gap between, like, certainty that this is a perfect movie or it's as close to perfect as necessary. But it's fantastic. It's fucking great. So good. Yeah. So. It felt good to finally watch a good movie. Yes, it's been so many bad movies. The last movie that we gave in the 90s was Ghostbusters, which of course, right? Yeah. That was last month. And then Frankenstein. Yeah, there haven't been that many 90s movies. That is to say movies that we rated in the 90s this year. Before that, it was Midsummer. Then rear window. So yeah, it's there's it's been a lot of a lot of mediocre and bad movies at the second half of this year. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, let's move on from Nightmare Before Christmas because we into could talk about that forever into a mediocre movie. Yes, 2017's Anna and the Apocalypse. Now, please, 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 just let us like don't jump to conclusions about our opinions on this movie. I understand that there are people out there that fucking love this movie and were really, really stoked by it when it came out because it was something new and original to them. I don't think it's that new and original, and that's a lot of its problem. (laughs) And its execution is kind of substandard. Yes. We're going to talk about why we think that specifically when we talk about Anna and the Apocalypse, which was directed by John McPhail. Written by Alan McDonald and Ryan McHenry, who died of cancer in 2015. Uh, He wrote Zombie Musical, which then became this. Stars Ella Hunt, Malcolm Cumming, Sarah Swire, and Paul Kay. What is Anna and the Apocalypse about, Kelsey? 
zombie apocalypse on a small town in where Scotland. are they? England? Oh, They're in Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. Small town in Scotland, right around Christmas time on Christmas Eve, right? Yeah, it takes place over like two days. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, day before uh-huh. Christmas Eve, something like that. Yeah, uh-huh. and uh, it's a musical, and uh, it's about all you. Really it's a musical zombie. Like that's kind of all you need to know. Yeah. It is available for free or with ads on Canopy and Pluto TV. If you have a subscription to Hoopla, or if you want to rent it, it's $4, or you can buy it for 10 And this was recommended to us by? By Jeffrey. Thank you, Jeffrey. Sorry, Jeffrey. We say that all the time. I, You know, I don't think people give us a hard time when we don't like movies that they recommended. They just want to hear us talk about them. Okay. Which is fine. We are going to talk about this. And it's going to sound like we're harder on this movie than we actually think about it. There are good moments. There are. This, and is not, this is not a zero. It is not a bad movie. It is not say. a zero. This it's is not just, bad. There's a lot of opportunity to be really great. Yeah. And then it squanders that it's opportunity. It's more of a disappointment sure. than anything else. Yes. Like, it's just like... You, it's hard to think about all the good stuff because you're like, wow, this had a lot of potential and it just wasted it. Uh-huh. So thank you, Jeffrey, though, because I'm glad I finally got a chance to watch it because I know people have talked about this quite a bit. Kelsey, should people watch Anna and the Apocalypse? No. I think you can. If you're like a Glee fan, I think this is good if that's what you're into. I'm not the biggest fan of Glee to be honest with you, but I understand that people are. It's what people are looking for. I don't begrudge them that. If that's the kind of musical stuff that you're into, then sure. If you really, really like high school musical, (laughs) sure. I got news for you guys. If you like high school musical- You don't like musicals. You're not a theater kid. Right. Like, it just- Every time one of my theater kids would be like, let's do High School Musical, I'd be like, you're not a real theater kid. Right, yeah. Uh You like the most commercial and most basic Mm -hmm. theater, musical theater that you possibly can, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is good for like as an entry level sort of thing. It's like saying that Harry Potter is your favorite fantasy series. It's like, oh, you're not actually into fantasy. I get it. No, I understand when people really like Harry Potter. I like Harry Potter. (laughs) I'm not the biggest fan of J.K. Rowling. Um, But it's like entry-level fantasy. It is just basic bitch-ass shit when it comes to fantasy. If you were already into fantasy and then it came out, I don't have a problem with you being way into it. No, neither do I. I. Like I say, I get all that stuff. But this feels almost like that. Like it's... If you like musicals, if you like horror, if you like comedy, this is just like kind of a basic bitch version of all those things. But since it's those things mashed together, it gets a lot of benefit of the doubt or like it, it it's a really low bar that it has to cross in order for people to enjoy it because there's not a lot of those out there. I think people just wanted to like this right, and so yeah. they said that they did. That, I Totally. And I don't begrudge you if you legitimately did like it, but. There's so much better horror out there. There is so much better comedy horror out there. There's so much better musical comedy out there. But just the fact that this is comedy, horror, and musical put together, if you like those things individually, you might feel obligated to like this. And I'm trying to tell you, you don't have to. You know what you should see? You should see Little Shop of Horrors. Yes! Which is probably the best 
I mean, not that there's a lot of them out there, but it's probably the best comedy musical horror movie. <laughs> and specifically the movie. I prefer the movie to the live produ- stage production. Yeah. Uh-huh. I like the ending better in the movie. Mm-hmm. So you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2017's Anna and the Apocalypse. Mass infection with the unidentified virus continue to come in from across the world. <clears throat> Good morning. Sure, it'll be the same as always. New morning. Feels different than before. Anna, that guy's a zombie. It's not zombies, that's stupid. And I'm I can't believe this is happening. I'm ready. <laughs> hey, zombies, right? It's crazy. I know. We are not opening the doors. My little girls are there. I'm getting my dad, all right? How are we going to get past all the zombies? I just had the best idea ever. This is the stupidest idea ever. <laughs> all right, losers. The streets are chaos and the outlook is dire. What do I do? Make the movie! Destroy the place! We go through here, we might make it to the school before Sunday. Plus, it'll be fun. Yeah, certain death is so much fun. This isn't fun anymore. Hashtag evac selfie. Well, we all deserve to go extinct. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Anna and the Apocalypse begin? With the old school Orion intro? Oh, that's almost literally what I have written here. I have old school Orion promo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which always, I mean, they know exactly what they're doing. And it works every time. Yes. Every time I see it, I'm like, ooh. Although I don't understand why it was in this movie. (laughs) Well, because Orion is a going concern again. They just revitalized the name. Mm. It's not practically anything special or anything really related to the original. It's just whoever owns the name is bringing it back. Bringing it back. Yeah, and taking advantage of that nostalgia. And like I say, it fucking works. Mm. I get excited every time I see it. This movie immediately tells you that it wants to be Shaun of the Dead because they are in the car on their way to school and the radio is trying to tell you about what's going on with the pandemic and she changes the channel. We interrupt this program to bring you an important news bulletin. The Center for Disease Control has recategorized the pandemic first thought to be a super virus strain of the flu. It has now been determined to be a lethal pathogen, seemingly capable of reanimating. Why would you shut off a special report that was a big enough deal to interrupt a song? And why, when they change the channel, isn't it also interrupting that channel? Good questions. But I understand that teenagers would do that. But it it also feels very uh, Shaun of the Dead. But you're right. I would imagine the father would be like, ah, we should probably listen to that. Although this father is a little... Right. But I mean, Shaun of the Dead is a little bit sort of absurdist. The fact that they do it is the comedy. There's nothing funny about her changing the channel. It's maybe a little bit more frustrating than anything. (laughs) 
Uh, the song they were singing is Christmas Means Joyful Living. Oh, is that a real song? No idea. Okay. I, I was like, I was sure it was made for the movie. Probably. It is a fun song. I will give it that. Christmas means joyful living or something like that. Something. I it's, struggle it's really to silly. remember any of the songs in here. Although one I remember really well because they sang it twice. <laughs> Her best friend who is in love with her, but she is not interested in him, and she will make that clear to him. This is John. He lets it slip to her father the reason that she has to work this evening and not go to the Christmas play at their, or the Christmas, I don't know. Is it a is it a play? Is it a talent show? It's like a talent show or a... The reason she can't go to that is because she has to work, because she has to pay off her ticket that she has bought to Australia. Her She's dream is to spend next year backpacking through Australia, mm-hmm. which I thought was a totally normal European thing to do. Right. Uh-huh. But her dad acts like that's a huge mistake. Yeah. But I she's thought that was a normal to to European thing to do. To, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I couldn't say. But yes, it does feel like I hear a lot about that in Europe, especially backpacking or some other sort of world travel after high school, but before college. But he says to her, don't be so stupid, which will prompt her to say, I can't wait to get away from you. Yeah. Now, I should probably point out, I should admit that it wasn't clear to me who exactly John was. Originally, I was like, oh, they're brother and sister. And then he calls her dad, Mr. Whatever. And it's like, okay, so he's her boyfriend. But no, they don't firmly, you say they do, but to me, they don't firmly establish what their relationship is, or at least not clearly enough. I thought it was pretty clear from the get-go. I admit, when I first saw them, I questioned brother and sister. Then you find out that no, he's definitely not her brother. And then you do question, are they dating? But then you're like, no, the way that she was sitting the way he was sitting, they did not. That did not indicate a romantic relationship. And I thought it was pretty, pretty clear as soon as they're walking through the school, they're just friends. And I assumed he had a crush on her. Right, but that's a lot of assumptions that you have to make to get there. But I, I don't know. I've seen enough movie, yeah. enough movies to assume that, I guess. Or I'm a girl, and I see things from I a girl's perspective. I wasn't totally in the dark, but what I'm saying is that the movie kind of leaves you hanging uh, as to the conclusions you're supposed to draw, and then it'll create scenarios where you need to know definitively in order for a scene to make sense. Mm-hmm. And so you're in like, oh, okay, that's their relationship. Like, you're constantly, like, sort of recorrecting your understanding of their relationship when they could just fucking tell you outright mm-hmm. and not have to deal with that. Yes. We get to meet Steph, who is essentially Naomi from Skins Season 3. You think? She is a blonde lesbian activist. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. She's also, I mean, I don't think they ever actually say, do they say she's American? In actuality, she's Canadian. But yeah, do they you say that she's you American? You can't tell what she is. She's got her accents all over the place. This is Sarah Swire, and while I thought she did, actually, I know you kind of disagree with me, I actually kind of liked her in this movie. Uh, she also did the choreography. And this movie has terrible choreography. It's so bad. Like, really, really bad. To the point where it feels like 
there is no concept that they're trying to convey with the choreography. There is no real emotion that they're trying to convey with the choreography. There is no overarching style or motif to the choreography. It's just show up on the day that we do the blocking and then I'll come up with it on the spot. That's what it feels like. Yes. they. She didn't do her homework or anything. It's just like, ah, you know what? I've been in musical theater before. Oh, okay. Well, then you can do our blocking, you know, and, and that's that's it. Yeah, it's it's like, okay, guys, there is a reason I never did a musical when I was teaching drama. I yeah. only did plays. And that is because I can't sing and I can't dance. If I had to do choreography, it would probably be this. Yes, <laughs> like, totally. No, 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 you're right. And that's not to disparage you. It's to disparage the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you know that you wouldn't be a good choreographer for a musical. Exactly. It has a lot of just sort of sitting down. There's a lot of sitting down. There's so much sitting. There's so much just sitting and singing. And you're just like, musicals need to be kinetic. The only time people should be singing is like sad songs. And you can't have all sad songs. This movie tries for a lot of it. <laughs> uh, there's also like if, if there needs to be a triumphant moment, they usually will stand on a chair or a desk. And that's how we're triumphant. <laughs> and it's really sort of basic shit. That does not bring the energy that you need to a, a film musical. Mm-hmm. So anyway, as we're introduced to this school, we're given our first song, which is called Breakaway. Right away, the music feels like a stage musical that they're not doing a very good job of adapting for film. And then I wrote, if your characters are just going to sit there and sulk, why is the music so inspirational? Yes, I was like, why is everyone sitting when the music is ramping up? It's because it's talking about how I just need to get out of here and live my life and fulfill my promise and all of that. But everyone's just sitting there all sad. Just like sitting. This weird juxtaposition of emotions here. Then she like gets up for a moment and you're like, okay, okay, here we go. Uh-huh. And then just standing there doing nothing. And I wrote down, oh my God, do something. Do something. Mm -hmm. Now, what did we learn in this song? That they all want to get out of here. Yeah. They all can't wait to get the hell out of here. Okay. Which is every team. Yeah, that's something, but it's not much. Especially since we just saw that scene where she literally said she wants to leave. She told her father she wanted to get the fuck out. And we saw in her locker that she's all been all about Australia. Yeah. Now, what are the benefits of musicals? One of the benefits of musicals is that you get, for every song, you get a peek inside the internal thoughts and feelings of your characters, right? Without relying on heavy-handed, ham-fisted dialogue. Depends on the musical, but yes. Yeah, well, that's one of the benefits. I'm not saying it's the only one, and I'm not saying it's every song. I'm just saying it's one of the benefits of having a musical, is you get a time where we just get... Outside of, like, Shakespearean soliloquies, <laughs> to be or not to be, we get to experience a character's internal monologue externally, right? So if you're making a musical, you should take advantage of that and make those internal character revelations, if that's the type of song it is, granted, impactful and something we couldn't get without awkward forced dialogue. Uh, this movie does not do this, practically ever. Uh, what did we learn? We learned that they want to leave, which we already knew. <laughs> and we take a whole song singing that. And then 
everyone feels that way, I guess, is the one thing that we learn that's exclusive to the song. Mm -hmm. But it's stuff like that. Well, I don't know that we learned that about the guy in the... Did he sings the song, too. Does he sing about liking her? I can't remember. I don't think he does. <laughs> they don't even really talk about it until it becomes an issue. After this very disappointing song, we run into our antagonist. Savage. Is that his name? Yes. Are you serious? Yes. Arthur Savage is the character's name, and I hate this villain of an administrator. He is just so patently evil, I wrote. Unbelievable, and it isn't fun. Am I expected to just put up with him for an eventual payoff of a spectacular death? I don't think it's going to be worth it. There's even a moment where the star swings and it almost hits him, and I'm like, okay, that's how he's going to die. And sure enough, it is. <laughs> and it's not worth it, dealing with his... Like, you can make an awesome villain, and they just... Don't take advantage of that. One incredible villainous moment happens off screen. More importantly, I think that he is supposed to be this absolutely ridiculous villain, but he's not. Like, they they take him to the very cliff's edge, and then they just sit him there for the rest of yes. the entire show, and you're just like... So he's just a character you hate. Yes. He's not That's fun to hate. That's what I'm talking hate. about. Exactly. He is not fun to hate because just he don't is like not. Him. He should be flamboyant as hell. Uh-huh. He should have sequins on him. He should, when he dances, there should be neon lights. Oh, and, and was, there are not. I was so ever. excited when we got his villain song and it started out really good. And then <laughs> right when it changes tones and I'm like, uh oh. Oh no. Oh no, no, no. Like we didn't even get a really good villain song, like a like a good be prepared. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Something. Mm-hmm. Nothing. A good Nothing. Oogie song. Exactly. But no. And I was just like, there's nothing funny about him. Mm -hmm. You just don't like him. What other pseudo villain do we meet? Then there is Nick. All we know is that she and he hooked up at some point. Yep. Did they actually date? I don't know. Don't know. I don't think so. And then he did something bad, right? What did he do bad to piss her off? Like he told everyone something? I think so, but then I don't she even says remember. she says that she didn't really care about that. Something really pissed her off. Right, but he did the thing that is bad. It wasn't me, you know. That night you stayed at mine, I didn't say nothing to no one. Wait, you think that's why I'm angry with you? Well, yeah, obviously. Nick, I don't care about the sex. I'm angry with you because we shared all that stuff about our dads in the future. And you acted like it meant something, and then you just dumped me. I trusted you. Right. That's it? You are such a prick. Which we don't find out until later. Yeah, way later. All we know is he's a dick, but it's it's hilarious because he is the quintessential epitome of theater kid. <laughs> Why do you say that? He's every time you were in theater, you had to have a bad boy. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. The bad boy the of bad the boy theater, theater kids. kid. Yeah. Like, that is what he is. There is nothing about him uh -huh. that is legitimately bad boy. Uh-huh. 
And they talk about how gorgeous and stunning he is. And it's like, I don't know. He has pretty eyes. He's fine. But you got John right fucking there, who's who's also handsome. Also handsome and a much better dude. Right. Who actually cares about you. Yeah, he's a nerd. So what? So are you. And I'm not saying she needs to be attracted to somebody she's not attracted to. But if the movie is trying to convince us that John's just some normal schlub and Nick is the hot guy that's irresistible, I don't see it. Nope. There is kind of a funny moment when we meet Nick, not in what he does here, because what he does is he's a total fucking asshole. He throws a cupcake at this nerdy girl, and she's like, you are such a child. And he goes, a sexy child. And she's like, gross. And <laughs> that's, that's a funny joke. <laughs> the look he gives is pretty great, because he kind of has to think about it, and he's like, mm. oh. <laughs> you are such a child. Sexy child? Wait. No. Goodbye, Nick. Thinking about it cerebrally now, I think it's funny. In the moment, I had not laughed yet in the movie. There's one point where I thought about laughing (laughs) that's coming up that hasn't happened yet. And there are moments where I did laugh. That's why we say we don't think this movie is terrible. No. Not at all. It's just it's so disappointing Mm -hmm. that it could have been great. Mm -hmm. We meet Lisa... Who is excited for tonight? I guess tonight are they at school on Christmas Eve? Is they this are. normal? Yeah, in, uh-huh. in they are the UK? at school. Uh huh. I guess that's a normal thing. That's weird. We don't do that in the states, guys. We take two weeks off, which is weird because you guys are all about vacations. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> anyway, she's very excited to see her boyfriend, Chris. Ah, yes. Lisa and Chris are very much in love. And Chris is pretty much a non-character. His only characteristic is he's kind of, he comes off as goofy, and he loves Lisa. And he's obsessed with camera. Like, oh, he yeah. He wants to be a camera, he wants to be a filmmaker. He is Steph's cameraman. Yes. And that is why he will not be at the talent show that evening. No, he will be. He, but he'll be a little he will, bit he will, He'll promise it because they're going to go filming but then something happens and he can't make it. He does promise her that he'll be there. Oh, that's why she's so sad. Yeah, uh-huh. when she looks out in the audience and it's empty. The seat is empty. Yes. Which, by the way, she does a weird song. Okay. How do you feel about the song? I, it feels weird. It's that time of year. Yeah, because it's an overly sexualized Christmas song during a Christmas pageant thing. Yes. Yes. So, I guess that's what they were going for. I guess. I guess it just kind of went on a little too long. Right, and the only comedy was that she was doing it. Like, whereas in Mean Girls, there's more stuff going on on screen during that moment. You know, it's not just, oh, it's a naughty song. (laughs) And that's the only appeal. 
Like, okay, I'm supposed to have to sit through three minutes of a song marveling just because it's naughty? Like, And everyone in the audience is uncomfortable or they really like it. Right. Which is also uncomfortable. (laughs) But it's also funny because the grandma loves it. The grandma's there. It's Chris's grandma. That's the good joke there. The grandma gives her a high five. Oh, the other thing that happens is that Savage fucking hates it. And at first you thought... That he was getting turned, he was getting on, turned but on, but no, no, he doesn't have that depth. He is just angry at everything. <laughs> but anyway, we're not even there yet. We no. first get Hollywood ending. No such thing as a Hollywood ending. Which is the only song that I can really actually hear in my head because they do play it twice. No such thing as a, a Hollywood ending. ending. Yeah, I it's, do remember that. It's very low effort musical. Oh yes, this song was very low effort. I'm just like, how many have uh, of this have we seen? And it's another song about how life isn't turning out the way that you want it to, which is the first song we heard. Yes. So we just get two of the same song in a row? Mm-hmm. Except that I did enjoy Lisa and Chris changing it up. They're excited because they did find their Hollywood end uh-huh. together. So that was at least something. I wrote, this is entirely too po-faced. Where's the humor? Is this not a comedy? Is this just a high school musical movie with zombies? Is that its entire appeal? Probably. I mean, let, let, me, let me tell you guys, high school musical is not a good musical. No. You may like the songs, not a good musical. It's kind of baby's first musical. So, funny story here. I teach with a teacher who didn't have much of a theater background. Very, very, very little, minimal. And she had to, she was asked to teach drama for a couple years. And she put her heart and soul into it. And But she apparently let the kids choose the musicals. Mm-hmm. Apparently one year they picked High School Musical. And she said, I could get behind anything they chose. Except for High School Musical. Uh-huh. She was like, it is the worst musical yeah. ever. You know, High School Musical is to musicals as any other Disney Channel original movie is to movies. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> you were just a kid when you saw it for the first time, and it blew your mind. And that's fine. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. But there's more to musical theater than High School Musical. But I, I, just, I wrote down, the only thing I wrote down for this song is the dancing is terrible. Yeah. And I don't mean the dancers, I mean the choreography. Yeah. I forget why, but Anna and Steph are alone at some point, and they're having a conversation, and I think Anna's trying to make her feel better about the fact that for some reason her, apparently... Steph's parents are in the States or something, and her girlfriend isn't there for some reason. No, they're somewhere else. She's from the States. They move to uh, the UK, and then her parents leave to go somewhere else entirely. or something. Yeah, uh uh-huh. But anyway, she's trying to make her feel better about it, and Steph is getting really frustrated, and she's like, can you just stop talking? 
And then she says something about, well, at least you don't have to deal with your mom. And that really upsets Anna because Anna doesn't have a mom. Right. Do they ever reconcile this conflict between the two of them? No. No. But what importantly happens here is because she's so, they're both so upset from this conversation that they don't notice the very first zombie that we get to see. Yeah. Also, it establishes that Steph's car is here because Savage took her keys. That's right. And she was trying to break into her car in this moment when they're yes. having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay. At the pageant. We get our first, like, really diegetic funny. song. The first time I thought about laughing. I laughed. But did not. The fish rap. Plenty of fish in the sea. Where two penguins, which are obviously like, I don't know. It's like the stoners. It's this guy and a girl, I think, right? Well, we saw earlier. Did we? We did. We saw it's them earlier. It's hard to tell who they are. They were just, no, they were in their costumes. That's the only oh, reason okay. I remember them. Got it. We saw them earlier and the savage had yelled at them because they were leaving. And he uh-huh. was like, get back on that stage or whatever. And when you first saw them, you thought, oh, how cute. They must be doing some sort of cute uh-huh, little thing that they're going to be embarrassed thing. about or whatever. Yes, but no. Nope, it's a rap song about how they love fish. And it's the first time I even thought about laughing in this movie. And it was for a diegetic song. That's the thing. I don't think any of the songs in this entire movie that were non-diegetic, that, you know, the songs that make it a musical were funny at all. You were supposed to laugh when they were happily singing and didn't notice the zombies. I guess I, you're probably supposed to laugh during Savage's song. You probably But I was to too laugh. gravely disappointed to laugh at that. You're probably supposed to laugh during Kicking Some Ass. Oh. Which they fucked up terribly. Yeah, no, that wasn't any good either. All I could focus on was how slow <laughs> the action was. Oh my like God. you had great opportunities for comedic beats and you just pass it up. They have so many. So anyway, so potential. funny song where they're bouncing around in these sort of fat suit penguin costumes and they're rapping and that's funny. And then Lisa gets her moment that we talked about before where she sings the inappropriately sexual song. It's that time of year. She sings. Come on, Santa, give it to me. And everyone loved it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Anna and John are at work at the bowling alley where John tries to throw a shoe in the trash and ends up hitting the cleaning lady at the bowling alley. And more Shaun of the Dead. I wrote down the first clearly comedic sort of gag moment in the movie. And it's not very funny. And it's taken straight from Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Uh huh. So, like, uh, there's even a conversation here about how apparently the writers of the movie think they came up with the concept of all of the other reindeer. As an individual reindeer, even though that's a storybook and movie that's been around for decades. I think that he was making a joke about that. She just hadn't heard of it. You hadn't heard of it. I had. No, I had heard of it. Oh. Yeah, no, I definitely heard of it. Oh. That's why I was able to identify that that's not their joke. It just comes off as like, oh, it's funny because he doesn't understand that all of the other reindeer is not. It's just all of the other reindeer. I thought he was making the joke of the story and then she didn't understand it because uh, she had never heard it. Another bad execution by the movie. Yes, agreed. There's Olive. You know, it's in the song. Olive the other reindeer. <laughs> you still have to call him names. <laughs> 
Olive was a dick. (laughs) (laughs) He tells her that while they're making snow angels, and that is the fakest snow I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. We get a song. I I had little emojis next to all the song titles, and they're gone now. And that's really annoying because now it's hard to tell which of these are comments and which of them which of them are songs. There's a song turning my life around. Don't even remember it. Who sings it? What it's about? Oh, I do. So that is the song that's they they are singing the next morning. Which I guess it's supposed to be Christmas. Why are they going to school? It must not have been Christmas Eve. It must not Eve. have been Christmas Eve, yeah. We must uh, have missed, that must have been miscommunicated. I don't know. Because they're going to school the next day. So that song is what they're singing. Oh, right. And that is when she doesn't notice a cat and a fire and screaming. Oh, yeah. This These are the Shaun of the Dead moments. And a guy eating a baby, which I thought was yeah. uncalled for. And, and in Shaun of the Dead, he's distracted. He's doing the same thing he does every day. And he's looking down at the at his ice cream cone and all of that, his Cornetto. And it's funny that he misses everything. Whereas in this, it's just absurd that she would miss all this stuff because she's just walking a straight line and all this stuff would have been directly in front of her. Yes, a lot of the stuff she should definitely have been able to see. The idea is supposed to be that she's so happy and in her own little world that she doesn't notice it. But the problem is, yes. is that the movie has not communicated why she is right. so happy. Why? What changed? If we don't get that in the plot, then it needs to be in the song. Yes. And we don't. The song starts off with her, oh, what a wonderful day. And it's like, okay, why do you think it's a wonderful day? The previous two songs that you sang have been depressing because of how much life sucks. What has changed? This is the song that's supposed to take place after you kissed your friend that you didn't realize you were in love with. Yes. But that never happened. Yes, exactly. I was like, are they suddenly in love? They didn't tell us they were in love. Because they're both they're singing like this song. They're both singing this song on the way to school and they run into each other. It's like the people who wrote this have never seen a musical they, Well, they, they know what elements a musical has, but not why it has them. Also, her friend is wearing the same sweater two days in a row. John. Which I thought was a problem. Yeah. <laughs> but they needed that gag for later when it lights up. I guess. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they run into zombies in the first zombie they run into is one that's dressed as a snowman and they are in a graveyard. I thought they were in a, a playground. They they run to one, I guess. Oh, okay. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> and it's it's a little funny. It's a little slow. That action beat should have been a lot faster. Yes. Every time action should be going quickly, it slows down. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You're inexperienced at making movies, but you got to try. Well, no. Also, I think a lot of that. So a lot of that is the blocking, not choreography. That's dancing. But blocking just like, okay, where do you move? Why, how, and when, right? That's the blocking elements. But editing has just as much an influence on the pace of any particular moment. And the editing is just by the numbers, too. Well, I don't think they had much to work with. I think uh-huh. they did everything in, like, kind of one take. Right. I mean, not to say that the acting is bad. I think the acting is actually pretty decent. Oh, one thing that I actually really liked about this is because he mentioned that he would get ripped for her or something like that. Or, no, 
he mentioned that he would get ripped and then she commented on it. And then he said, I'll have to start running to school every day. And he is running to school. And so that's why he's singing that song. So that makes sense. Half sense on his part, but no sense on her part. But anyway, they knock this zombie's head off with a seesaw and all the blood comes gushing out. And John has his point and scream moment, which is pretty funny. funny. I laughed. They put it in the trailer. (laughs) Yeah, because they knew. Oh, the trailer is so good. Way better than the movie is. Yes, the tra- like whoever made the trailer, like that's should've what we should have made. Ma- that's yeah, what uh-huh. the movie should have been like, fast uh, paced and la- and bright colors and you know like just yeah. lots of things happening. That's what this movie needed. I wrote down him screaming at the seesaw decapitation was my first actual laugh of the movie. But you know what would have made it even funnier is if it was fast paced and maybe a lot of cuts and then everything happens too quick to really understand what's going on or to. To take it all in, you can visually understand it, but like, oh my god, maybe you're getting overwhelmed and the characters feel that way too, and they communicate that through the editing, and then they knock his head off, and then everything stops, all the cuts and everything, to point and scream and the blood to go everywhere for too long, right? That would have made that moment just that much funnier. (laughs) But because we don't have that energy leading up to that moment... We don't get as much of an impact when it stops because John is freaking out. True. Exactly. Oh, wait, hold on. I didn't mention that in the song I have written down here as a note. What a time to be alive is a repeated line juxtaposed against the zombie apocalypse. Which I think is supposed to be the joke, but they say that line over and over and over again. So the energy completely drops after this. And then the joke is that they're like looking at a dead zombie body or whatever. And he takes out a banana and she's like, really? And he's like, potassium. And I'm like, all the energy is deflated here. Mm -hmm. Like the joke didn't land because the pacing is all off. Yeah. Then we cut to, and it's an interesting choice to not show the zombie outbreak. I guess it's probably cheaper. But so at this point, we get now we get to see the aftermath of everything. Yeah, the extent of it. So we see that Lisa and the grandma are still alive with the rest of the people that were there for the pageant. Including Anna's dad, who works at the school. And we find out that for some reason, Chris and Steph are at the bowling alley. They were out filming that night and they went to the bowling alley for protection. I guess. For safety. Which, by the way, that's where... Anna and John go. Anna and John work. Yes. And so when they show up there, and now we got the four of them together again, and this is our core group for a little bit. And the bowling alley stuff, even though it grinds the plot to a pretty harsh halt, there's some fun stuff going on in this bowling alley. I did enjoy when Lisa is talking to the grandmother. The grandmother's really worried about Chris. Yeah. And the grand- and, and Lisa says... Oh, don't worry. He's seen every horror movie. He'll know what to do. And then they cut to him and he's totally terrified and doesn't know what Mm -hmm. to do. That was a fun joke. We learned that Justin Bieber is a zombie. 
We get the concept of hashtag evac selfie, which is pretty funny. That was funny. Everyone's posting to social media their selfies that they're taking with the zombies behind fences because they're being evacuated. And this is the thing. Everyone now assumes that they're going to be evacuated. What they don't know is that two things are going to happen. Number one, the army's never going to get to them. They would have left them behind anyway. And number two, the army gets completely turned, which we'll find out later. Mm -hmm. Then... At one point, Anna and Steph are in the bathroom. The cleaning lady from before that got hit on the head is a zombie now. And Steph has to slam her head in the toilet bowl repeatedly in order to kill her, which was fine. It was funny. Sure. And then there's this sort of like heavy breathing moment. Like, oh, my God, that was intense. And then, bam, burst through the wall. All the zombies come breaking in. Actually, actually loved that. (laughs) That was perfect pacing. It was really, really good. And it's pretty funny and a textbook good jump scare moment, right? Uh, Because it doesn't just jump scare and then nothing. It kicks off the high adrenaline moments of them now being in a bowling alley and needing to kill all these zombies. And they kill them in creative, fun ways, like smashing their head between bowling balls and stuff like that. But for the love of God and all that is holy, why isn't this a song? Yeah, it's bizarre that this is not a song. And instead, they play the worst background music you could think of. (laughs) It's really, really bad. And... There's so much fun stuff you could be doing right now. Why isn't this a song? Mm -hmm. This is when I started to realize sort of what was wrong with this movie as a musical. I wrote, all your songs are so thematically static, completely missing the point of a musical. Everything is exactly the same before and after every song. The songs change absolutely nothing. It's just a short movie with little breaks for songs. A song in a musical should change or reveal something. And it, this movie is just dead set against either of those things. Mm-hmm. This is a perfect opportunity to have one of your most fun songs. Instead, they try to give the killing zombies song moment to Nick later on, and it's a huge letdown. This was your opportunity for it right here. It was, yes, a very big missed opportunity. There are some really cool shots of the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And they are all used in the trailer. Yeah. I noticed that. I was like, oh, yeah, the trailer knew what it was doing. It was like it picked it, it picked all the best parts. This is why I, mean, I know the trailers have the benefit of being able to do that, pick all the best parts. But it's why I think like competent editing could have gone a long way in making this movie better. It still had bad choreography. It still had no idea what to do with a song in a musical. But at least with editing, it could have kept that pace going at the appropriate speed at each individual moment, which this movie really fucking lacked. The Mm -hmm. trailer editors, who was probably a different person, Mm -hmm. hired by the production company just to make the trailer, uh, which is very, very common practice, they knew what they were doing. This is when we see, again, back at the school, Lisa is talking to the principal, and she's like, please, we need to get help for the grandmother. She's old and not doing so well. And he's like, what do you think we do in times of crisis? And she goes, help each other? And he says, we prioritize. Prioritize, Which is a good line. It's a good villain line. And it's the 
one of the few times that Savage is actually interesting. <laughs> then we get a song which feels like it again. It kind of comes out of nowhere. Human voice. I need a human voice, something I can hold on to. And I'm like, what are you? What? What are you talking about? When did this movie suddenly become about technology? I wrote, what the fuck has technology had to do with fucking anything so far in this movie? You've not said word fucking, like the most you said was that Chris was scrolling through social media and found out that Justin Bieber is dead and that there is a hashtag called evac selfie. That's it. That's all the movie has ever said about technology. And now all of a sudden there's an entire song about everything that's wrong with this world and how technology is taking away our human voices. It's like, how does that fit into the themes of this movie? How does and it, how did it fit into this moment in the movie? Yes. It came out of nowhere and the choreography is again terrible. It's very obvious that the writers decided they wanted certain songs and they didn't know how they were going to put them in the movie and then they wrote the songs and then they pieced them together and they didn't have anywhere to put this so they put it there you know exactly and like kill your fucking darlings mm-hmm. so we get the question well what about the army you know aren't they going to come for us and then I think it's Chris that says see for yourself they open the blinds and outside the bowling alley parking lot is all the soldiers are now zombies yeah. Yes. Funny moment. Yes. So they're trying to figure out how to get past the zombies, and I thought this was kind of a clever, funny thing. Sure, absolutely. What a great moment in the movie. They use this inflatable ball pit that they've been using throughout the film to remind you they that They slept there. in there that night to hide from the zombies, which is also kind of funny. Mm-hmm, yes. So they have it flipped up side down, and they're all on the inside, and if there are any zombies nearby, they drop down underneath it so they can hide. Do you want to tell this joke? I think Oh, it's about gross. the grandma zombie peeing on the back of Steph's neck? Yes. Yeah, there's that moment. She sits down on Steph's head and then starts peeing, mm-hmm. which is fine. I don't think it's, oh, it's disgusting. You can't make piss humor. Like, no, that's fine. It's just, okay. I think the way Steph reacted to it was the funny part for me. Is she pissing? Oh, fine. It's plastic. It's warm plastic. It doesn't protect them for very long because they start to get swarmed and the zombies are starting to lift it up. There's one with no legs that's crawling on the ground that gets underneath. Mm -hmm. But this is where Nick and his gang of thugs show up. And this was a huge letdown. We get the song Soldier at War. This is a zombie movie. This is your perfect opportunity to just kill a fuck ton of zombies. Right in the song that's all about killing a fuck ton of zombies. But he keeps just attacking for two seconds. He hits somebody like once, maybe twice, and then spends rest of the song with a bat over his shoulder, just kind of cocky swagger walking. Slowly walking towards the uh, camera. It is so boring. And then he stops and sings a little bit more. And then... And this song... Like it, 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 it's begging. 
It's begging, begging the choreography to be up and exciting, crazy all over the place. Tons of death, tons of gore, and just laughing him showing through it. Off. The song is about how he's showing off. But none of that happens. None of it happens. It is such wasted potential. The choreographer, uh, the chick who plays Steph, Steph yeah. she was just too inexperienced. The director obviously is also inexperienced. These people don't have enough experience with musicals. But it does say a lot about the idea that they had and the fact that they were able to execute it, that there is a thirst out there for something like this because people reacted so positively to it. Despite the fact that we have all these problems with it, because there's like a hunger for something like this. More of this, please. But they don't have the experience to execute it well, unfortunately. Yeah. I wish I was good at making songs, writing songs. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I like it, it. To me, it seems like the thing to do is to take a clever songwriter and have them write the songs, not just you having never written a song before in your life, deciding to write a song. You know, that's why Danny Elfman did such a good job. You know how many musicals he made before he made Nightmare Before Christmas? None. <laughs> but he knew what he was doing in terms of writing music, and not just music, but clever music. Anyway, Savage, I wrote down somewhere here, they're back in the school. Savage is obviously supposed to be a sort of Stephen King villain, like in The Mist, <laughs> but it is just so unearned. There's no intensity. I'm not scared of him whatsoever. This is Paul Kay, by the way, who is Thoros of Mir in Game of Thrones. Who is that? He's part of the Brotherhood Without Banners. Okay. You know, there's the guy that can die and get resurrected repeatedly. Yes. It's his right-hand man. Oh. Who ends up teaming up with Jon Snow and them, and they go to the north. And Yeah, anyway. But yeah, he says, don't patronize me, janitor. And then he's like, after everything I've done for you all, you're going to turn on me like this? It's like, yes. Yeah. And then we're not going to see anything from him until after he does the fucking most sinister thing that his character does in the entire movie. And he does it off screen. He does it off screen. Anyway, they go through a tree lot trying to get to the school. Yeah. And, and like they talk about how it's going to save them so much time. Why would like, it? How? How Why is would it going to save you that much time? How far apart are your streets that this would save <laughs> you more time? Also, for some reason, Anna takes the lead, which doesn't yeah. make any sense. Especially with Nick's Nick whole bluster and everything. Nick would take the lead. Yeah, yeah. and they do another calm moment jump scare gag in this one. With a Mrs. Claus with red eyes. Why would Mrs. Claus have red eyes? Yeah. Except for to be scary for this movie. It's dumb. I forget where they are, but after this moment, John is finally able to name all the reindeer, which is something they were trying to do before. And he goes, ha ha, and his arms go out, and he gets immediately bitten by a zombie. Yes. And so John is dead. Oh, I guess we didn't talk about how he admitted that he loved her, and she said, you're my best friend. You know, like there was one of those moments. He didn't admit that he loved her. She said to him It became obvious to her that that's what he was interested in. Very definitively, she said, you are my friend. John, you're my best friend, yeah. You know that. Of course. John, you're my best friend. And it's fine. Like, that's a change for John, and it could potentially be a change for Anna. Oh, what a moment to put a song. <laughs> nope. 
We don't even get to see how John deals with this because after he gets bitten, he has to sacrifice himself to save her. Yes, he sacrifices himself to save her. And so we don't even get a song about that. No, there's no song about turning into a zombie. Oh my God, I wrote that. What a wasted opportunity for a song about turning into a zombie. Mm -hmm. Oh man, Mm -hmm. that's what I want. Mm -hmm. But nope. And maybe as the song goes on, the structure of the lyrics starts breaking down because his brain starts turning, you know, and the lyrics stop making sense and words are mixed up and then it gets worse and worse as it goes through, but it keeps the same sort of tone. And maybe like, she could back up saying about how sad she is that yes! she lost her friend. Come but on! None of this happens. <laughs> none of it I, happens. I wrote, I wrote down, are they done with the songs? Are there no more songs in the <laughs> film? And then there was another song. Oh yeah, the next one coming up. Is the villain the song. villain song? So they make it to the school. The chorus is terrible. Finally, and it's revealed that ah, Savage has gone kind of crazy, and he let the zombies in to attack all the adults. Uh, we don't know where Chris's grandmother is. We don't know where Chris's girlfriend Lisa is. We don't know where Anna's father is. The only human we still see here is Savage, and then he locks them in there. And then lets the zombies into that room, and he starts his song about how much of a villain he is, and it starts really well. And then it kicks into, you know, the the key change, and oh my god. It gets really bad. Shut up, all you idiots, you little shits should listen to me. Did I fail to mention your attention's now obligatory? I do adore having the floor to tell you what's on my mind I've become the man I always planned precisely at the right time All my life they told me I would never succeed Put me down, controlled me, made me follow their lead Bought the lies they sold me for too long but now I'm finally free All you little sleazes break diseases in your infested beds emotional roller coaster I went through that I'm like, oh my God, here's the good song. It's the good song in the movie. This is actually going to be good. And then like that, plummeting emotionally going, oh no, this is actually bad. I think if you reworked some of these songs and if you replaced some with other ideas, I think there there's so much potential. Like, you could do so much with this. It's yeah. just handled terribly. This is the song, Nothing's Gonna Stop Me Now. I hated that he chastised somebody for saying fuck, and then he used it twice in the song. I was like, fuck, like, what? Yeah. At least make him consistent. Yes. And not even inconsistent in a fun sort of he's gone crazy way. Mm-hmm. It's just a lazy inconsistency. Mm-hmm. 
It's really sad. You find out that Chris's grandma died. Yeah, Lisa has been taking care of her this whole time, but it's too late. She ends up dying. And so Chris, oh, oh, song about the loss of a loved one during a zombie apocalypse? Nope. (sighs) Nick and Anna are together when they get away and they get attacked by more zombies and Nick stops and and tells Anna that she needs to leave and he wants to protect her. So we're getting some sort of redemption arc for Nick here. And as she's running away and the zombies are coming up to Nick and he's got his bat ready, he starts singing his soldier at war song again before it cuts away to follow Anna. Don't just stand there like a dick girl. Fuck's sake, Nick. Just go and get your dad, yeah? When it comes to killing zombies, I'm the top of my class. Clever. I actually really liked that. That was fun. I did enjoy... Steph comes to their rescue, and Anna and Chris, or no, I think Chris and Lisa. Are Lisa. Chris dead and Lisa. Well, so Chris and Lisa and Steph are trying to get her car keys. They need to go through the teacher's lounge into Savage's office to get her keys. And. Okay, then she's probably talking to Lisa at this point. But the way that she talks to her, like they're across the room or something, and she's trying to communicate that she needs to crawl out. And the movement she does is really good. She's like this. Yeah. <laughs> she's trying to tell her to crawl out. And it's really, really <laughs> funny. She does really a good job. Yeah, but Lisa and Chris are now stuck. So Steph can get out with the keys and then they end up getting bit in all of so this confusion. Because they oh, were really in love. A love song as About, you're turning, yeah, into a as zombie? turning into a zombie. That could have been good if you didn't do the John one from before. Or maybe you do the John one and then this is sort of a remix reprise version of it. Uh-huh. Nope. No. No. <sighs> so. And the final song is also super weak. Well, okay, so. Anna confronts Savage, finds her dad, and they fight back against Savage. Savage does get hit by that star from earlier, swings him down, and then there's this sort of stage dive into a crowd of zombies moment. Then he gets ripped apart, like is in every fucking zombie movie, including Shaun of the Dead. And then we find out that the dad's already been bitten. Was this Give Them a Show? Is that the name of the song? Is there a song here? Yeah, that's the weak give song a show. I'm talking yeah, about. The uh-huh. Give Them a Show song is really weak. There is one more song. Finale. There's one more song after Oh, is this. there? Yeah, well, I Will Believe with Anna and Nick. Oh, well, I do love the line when Steph shows up with her car. Boom, saved your life. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> But yes, the father dies. So she's going to have to leave him behind. Then we get I Will Believe with Anna and Nick. We see, we cut to John as a zombie now, turning the lights on his sweater on. Okay, it ends on no such thing as a Hollywood ending. But ironically, it is a very Hollywood ending. Yes. Because they're driving away in a car, finally free of their immediate danger in a zombie apocalypse. But they don't know where they're going to go. Everyone in the car is really, really quiet, looking out the window, trying to process what's going on. And then somebody says, what's next? Or something similar. And then everyone just thinks and is quiet. And then the end. That's a very Hollywood ending. So 
so many apocalypse movies end that way. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. You sing a song called No Such Thing as a Hollywood Ending and then give me exactly that? There's a jump scare here that Right at the me. end, the Santa zombie pops out. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Totally has nothing to do with the movie whatsoever. It's just one final jump scare. There is such a low bar for horror comedy, which I mentioned earlier, that a horror movie just needs to have a few jokes in order to be considered a comedy. And only needs to be considered a comedy to be considered good. And then you can say the same thing for horror musicals. That three-circle Venn diagram, if you're in the very middle, the bar is even lower. And I think that's the problem for this movie, is that it's such a low bar, and then it barely gets to that bar. I've heard people say that the songs are earworms. But like I said, after we saw it, I couldn't remember the tune to a single song without looking at the titles and lyrics. Mm -hmm. Hollywood ending was the only one that I could just remember that no such thing as a Hollywood ending. Mm -hmm. But that one, like I say, they sing twice in the movie. So here's a question, Kelsey. What people or relationships are changed by the end of the movie. You were just teaching your kids about dynamic about characters. Dynamic and static characters. Okay? Yes. So let's talk about that. There's nothing wrong with a static character. No, there's nothing. I taught that to my students. No, no, you're right. Static characters are fine. But when every character's static? <laughs> let's 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 do a little quick assessment. Anna learns to love what little family she has. Okay, good. That's dynamic. But then he immediately dies. Okay, fine. John reveals his desire when characters reveal their desire. That has a really big impact on a story. It's part of the hero's journey, right? He doesn't get what he wants, and then he immediately dies, so he never has to confront that. Okay. Nick gets to hang out with the girl he likes, Anna. But does she like him now? Didn't he do something bad, I wrote down? Isn't he a total sleazebag? So, like, are we supposed to feel good about the fact that they can be together now? Lisa and Chris love each other. They still love each other by the time they die. No conflict there. No change. Savage hates kids and parents, learns nothing, dies, which he was probably going to do anyway, regardless of what happened in this movie. (laughs) And Steph is still gay by the end of the movie. And that's it. That's all that happens. (laughs) Nothing changes. Nobody grows. Nobody learns anything. And, like, that's what you... That's what you use these songs for, so we can get insight into what people are thinking and feeling. And we we populate an entire musical full of static fucking characters. What are you doing? I don't get it. I don't get it. There are two more lines I'd like to talk about. Okay, by all means. It's a, they're really silly, but I liked them. At one point, they're talking to, I think Anna, I think it's John and Chris, and they say something about them being zombies. And she says, don't use that word or whatever. And he goes, she's in Egypt because she's so far in denial. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was really funny. It's a, it's, a, it's a funny use of a lame joke. Yes. And I also loved when Chris and John were alone and they were talking about who they thought would be alive and who would be dead. He says a couple of people and it's upsetting John and... He and Chris says, what about Taylor Swift? And John goes, stop it. Tay-Tay's fine. Yeah, that's cute. Um, Taylor Swift. Jesus, Chris. Why would you even say that? Tay-Tay's fine. Yeah, all right. I was- She's fine. <laughs> I like the fact that it's like normalizing men liking Taylor Swift. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's cool. 
<laughs> so, Kelsey, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm sure, it's high. Uh, 79? 77. Yeah. Anna and the Apocalypse finds fresh brains and a lot of heart in the crowded zombie genre, not to mention a fun genre mashup populated by rootable characters. Uh, rootable does not mean what I think you think it means, Rotten Tomatoes, especially if you're Australian. <laughs> Root forable, little hyphenated new word. Uh, you don't root them; you root for them. It's uh, very important uh, distinction. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Metacritic of sixty-three, no cinema score. Do you think that's overrated or underrated? I think it's overrated. Okay. In that case, what would you give it? I will give it a sixty-three. Yeah, and this might surprise you because we've done nothing but bag on the movie so much. It's okay. It's not a bad movie. It's an okay movie. It is a 60s movie. There are a lot of perfectly good movies that we've given 60s for in the past. This is another one. It's just fine. It's just, there's just so much potential here. That's wasted. Which is why it's it's as high as it is and also is why it's it's as low as it is. Yeah, I'll give it a 63 as well, I think, because I think that's a good number. I think I need to reiterate, if you really, really like this movie, I I understand. It's fine. There's a lot to really like here. I just encourage you, no judgment, to go out and experience more musicals, right? There's some really high quality stuff out there, and you don't have to stop here. I think this is a great launching point, and you should. You know, whenever I give a D to something, it's kind of like, Ds are specifically either... You were really close to a C, but you just didn't get there. Uh Or you actually really deserve an F. But you're trying. you tried. Yeah, uh (laughs) uh-huh. Ds are rarely ever Ds for the sake of a D. It means something else. little insight into teaching, by the way. I agree. So that is our Christmas episode. Merry Christmas, everyone. If you don't celebrate Christmas, regardless of your religion, happy holidays. Uh, There's a lot. It's a great time of year. We fucking love this time of year it's so much fun and we're really really excited to produce some good christmas stuff for you guys so very happy to do this episode thank you to jeffrey for recommending anna and the apocalypse i'm really glad that we finally got to see it it's been on our list for a while now so thank you very much yes thank you kelsey next week it will be past christmas it's new year's so what are we watching a movie that you're excited about (laughs) Yeah? Called Angel Hearts. Yeah, it's been such a long time since I've seen Angel Heart. Robert De Niro. Don't know what I'm in for. Mickey Rourke. Lisa Bonet. Oh, a crush from my childhood right there, Lisa Bonet. This was a movie that originally got an NC-17. They had oh, to cut geez. it down to be an R. Oh, jeez. Technically, there's sex with a minor in this movie. Oh, jeez. Yeah, Lisa Bonet is supposed to be 17. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. But- I'm excited about it. It's sort of like noir horror. Okay. So there's apparently a scene that takes place on New Year's Eve. So that's yeah. what we're going to we're watching that for. Uh-huh. And then our new movie is another Into the Dark movie. Yep. I, I want to try to do the ones that, you know, people are excited about. And it uh-huh. seems like a lot of people are excited about this one. So Midnight Kiss. Okay. All right. So that is Angel Heart. And Midnight Kiss, which we know nothing about. Until then, you can always find us on our website, podcemetery.com, or on Twitter, where we are much more active, at Pod Cemetery. 
Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review in your podcatcher of choice. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. But even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends. And even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? How horrible our Christmas will be. What's this? The monsters are all missing and the nightmares can't be found. And in their place there seems to be good feeling all around. Instead of screams, I swear I can hear music in the air. The smell of cakes and pies are absolutely everywhere. The sights, the sounds, they're everywhere and all around. I've never felt so good before. This empty place inside of me is filling up. I simply cannot get enough. I want it, oh, I want it, oh, I want it for my own. I've got to know, I've got to know it is this place that I am found. What is this? Christmas time? Hmm. It should belong to anyone. Why, I can make a Christmas tree. Not anyone, in fact, but me. Why, I could make a Christmas tree. There you go. I mean, there's, you know, there's just certain... Uh, the, 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 uh, shut, sewn, clut, sewn, shut eyes. And eat your, <coughs> and eat your Christmas tree. <coughs> Saying, hey, think about the holidays. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I love that. If, 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 if we don't get that in the plot... Oh, man.